Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chillin' let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style on the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here alongside the young boy, Josh Smith. We have a packed show for you guys. We're going to be talking about the new beginning in Sapporo, night one and night two, as well as giving our predictions for the new beginning in Osaka. We're going to be covering all the latest news happening in the world of New Japan. But before we dive into the show, just give some quick shout-outs. Uh, shout-out to Kyle He was the winner of the Social Suplex Podcast Network's t-shirt giveaway. So thank you, Kyle, for rating and review. And thanks everybody else who left ratings and review. But Kyle was the winner, and he's getting himself a Rusev Day shirt. (laughs) Rusev Day! So every day will be Rusev Day for Kyle Moores in South Carolina. Also want to give... Is he going to be at Mania? Uh, I don't know. I I think he is. Yeah. We got to hit that dude up. Yeah. Um, also, a shout out to Mike Ferg. He's the guy that's been doing all the logos and graphics for Social Suplex, and he Big just Mike. He just made us a very cool uh, logo for Social Suplex that we're going to be making some T-shirts with. Yo, that logo is fire. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the kind of reaction uh, we <laughs> get from other parties on that uh, design. And also a shout out to Nathan Nathan Sartain. I think that's how you say your name. He's a Sartain. Sartain. He's I don't know. I don't know. He's the newest uh, social suplex columnist. Dang, he, Jeremy. <laughs> he's one of our columnists. You don't know how to say his name, dude. I just met this guy. He just emailed me like last week, yeah. and he uh, dropped his first column on Jay White and David Finley. Oh com- yeah, that's a really good comment. Yeah, actually. comparing their kind of careers and kind of asking the question like why are they not on the same level? So check that out on socialsuplex.com. Also, something new for Social Suplex, you can subscribe to us and you will get the columns and podcasts sent directly to your email. Go to socialsuplex.com/subscribe. So I can get this sent to my email directly? Yes, directly. That'll keep me more on track, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Josh. So, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about New Beginning in Sapporo. Yes. A two-night show. A lot of stuff went down. There was three big title changes. Let's just let me just start by saying that this has been a one week of wrestling overload. Um, considering like we had both New Japan New Beginning shows. Um, you know, spoiler alert, we watch other products too. <laughs> we also watched uh, the NXT TakeOver. Takeover. We watched the Royal Rumble. Uh, we were at an indie show last week. What show was that? Um, was that was that um, Ben's show? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Our friend, uh, friend of the show and social suplex, Ben Schaefer, made his debut for FTW as Jimmy Flips. Yeah, we were at the FTW show, which actually pulled in a really good indie house, which uh, kind of was surprising. <laughs> yeah, special guest appearance from Mick Foley. Yeah, we saw Mick Foley. We saw other wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> saw Jimmy Flips. Jimmy Flips. And then, um, you know, this weekend we were not We were at two indie shows. We were at the... Uh, we. Uh, freaking, we're at the FIP show at the Orpheum in Tampa. Yeah, we saw Darby Allen. Yo, that Darby Allen match was really good. Yeah, we saw Darby Allen wrestle, a bunch of other guys, and then we were at NXT Largo last night. And then, uh, you know, that plus like other wrestling viewing, it's been a jam packed couple All right, of weeks. We've watched a lot of wrestling. <laughs> you can say that we're getting prepared for New Orleans. Yeah, we're trying to build up our, our, <laughs> our uh, stamina. <laughs> All right, so new beginning in Sapporo. Um, first title change, we saw Tanahashi versus Suzuki in the main event of night one. Uh, Suzuki was able to defeat the ace and become the new Intercontinental Champion. What did you think about this match, Josh? Okay, so we're going to start off with the big guns right, right now. Right. <laughs> so I thought that this match was truly incredible. Um, I really, 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 really liked this match. Um, it might have been my favorite match of the weekend, and that's really saying something with some with the quality of matches that were out there. I don't think it was the best match of the weekend, but for New Japan, it definitely was. Um, there, this was just it was an incredible match. Um, I mean, some of the things that really just stuck out right off the bat was Suzuki came out, no goons. That's right, no seconds. So that was like kind of a big deal. Just the fact that he expected to be able to beat Tanahashi and why shouldn't he? The man was broken down. I mean, <laughs> uh, we've talked about before. Torn bicep. Uh, freaking knee injury. Knee injury. His back's messed up. His hips are messed up. His neck is messed up. So, I mean... Yeah. Um, Don Callis had a great line at the beginning of the match. He was like, if I was Tanahashi, I would try to keep my injuries away from Suzuki, but he has so many, that's going to be hard to do. Yeah, so they worked a really smart match. This was a true testament to how good Minoru Suzuki and uh, Tanahashi can be when it comes to in-ring psychology and like ring generalship because they constructed a match where Tanahashi's not even maybe, who knows, 50-60% of what he can be. I mean, he's really, really beaten down. And they were still able to work a style match centered around those injuries in a way to where they delivered what will ultimately end up being one of the best matches of the year um, using those injuries to tell the story of what was going on um, this was the first match they've had since uh, that famous series of this series of matches they had in 2012 um, you know they had that five star match at King of Pro Wrestling they also wrestled at uh, the G1 that year as well as um, Wrestle Kingdom 
and all the matches they've ever had together were incredible. So, I mean, there was a lot of history going into this match, plus the attack angle that they did at New Year's Dash this past year. Right. Really set this up in a big way. So, what were your thoughts, Jeremy? What were your expectations going into this match? Um, honestly, I, didn't, I really didn't know what to expect going into this match. I mean, these guys have great chemistry from their previous matches. And I was expecting a good match. I didn't know exactly what their game plan was going to be. But um, I like this match a lot. A lot of great in-ring psychology, attacking uh, the body parts, the injured body parts. It was pretty much almost like a battle of submissions. Uh, Tana was, you know, he always works the leg, the dragon screw. He's trying to set up the uh, Texas lo- te- uh, Texas Cloverleaf, even though Don Callis called it a sharpshooter because he said that every hole. He says, he's like, I'm from Canada. Every every <laughs> hole like that's a sharpshooter. Bret Hart's the greatest wrestler ever. <laughs> I didn't I didn't catch him saying that. He but... said on uh, Killing the Town. Oh, he, gotcha. Yeah, he's like, that's a sharpshooter. Sure. Every move like that shooter. Bret that, Hart. <laughs> you know, that's something I want to point out in these two, uh, like, shows I think that Don Callis and Kevin Kelly are amazing. Oh man! And their their storytelling is great, and you know, getting the the characters over and and the backstory is great. But one thing that they do flub up on a lot, and I mean all the time, I catch it. Is they call moves by the wrong names a lot, a lot. Like uh, there was one point where. Um, he, someone was getting put in the STF and Don Callis was like, he's got him in the cross face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, he called the Texas Cloverleaf a shooter. Uh, there's a couple times Kevin Kelly calling stuff by the wrong name. I was just like, I'll give him a pass because they're pretty entertaining, but yeah. like they need to brush up on some of these moves. I yeah. mean, they've been doing this too long and been in the business too long <laughs> to be like missing. I would understand if it was like someone's signature hold and they called it the wrong thing, but they're calling stuff by like like basic moves by, that like, are well established. Everybody knows Cloverleaf. Right, like, but Anyway, yeah, but uh, Tana, he was working, you know, he was working the cloverleaf, trying to work the legs. Suzuki was going after the injured knee as well. I think at some points going after the arm, too. Yeah, he seemed to start off attacking the arm in the beginning of the match, and yeah. that was kind of the story. And then, um, you know, Tanahashi, what they did, what they built really well, too, is Ta- Tanahashi didn't have to actually do too much in this match. And all he had to do was kind of fire up with his signature spots, with hope spots, like, to come back. And it's not to say he didn't get no offense, but I would literally say it's probably 75-25 Suzuki to him. Um, It was a domination by Suzuki. Um, And some people sometimes think in order to have a great match, it needs to be some sort of 50-50 exchange, you know, so that whoever's going to win is in doubt. But that's not always the case. Um, this is very reminiscent of last year's match that uh, Suzuki had, had with Okada. Yeah, yeah. At, at New- but the, but th- this was almost way more dominant. Right, and uh, Suzuki had uh, Tana trapped in a lot of submissions, a lot of uh, knee bars. I mean, and Tana would be in those holds for a very long time. Even, um, before getting one thing I just wanted to express that stuck out to me was just how scary... Suzuki comes off at the top of his game like he is just so legitimate looking and feeling in his domination of wrestlers that you're like this dude should be the IWGP champion yeah like that's how he comes off and we've said it before like he uses his goons a lot in his matches but he doesn't need to he just likes to yeah but this kind of match shows like how dominant he can be and uh, he, I was, I was thinking uh, once he hit the uh, gotch pile driver, thought he was gonna go for the cover there, but oh, he, that was an awesome part. He wanted, match. he wanted to make Tanahashi tap out. He locked back in the knee bar. 
they kept teasing, um, you know, that he's going for the gotch, and, and the story almost felt like if he got the gotch, the match would be over. And uh, Tanahashi did a great job getting out of it numerous times, but when he finally put it on, you're like, it's over. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's going to go for the pinfall. Nah. No. <laughs> <laughs> nah, player. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm going to put Tana out of business, going to lock in that knee bar. I want submission victory. For, for those of you who are listening who are not New Japan fans, some matches that maybe are kind of reminiscent, but maybe not even done as well. This kind of reminded me a bit of like Brock versus Cena from SummerSlam in, uh, what was that, 2013? No, 2014? I think so, yeah. Or even the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn match they had at NXT with the ref stoppage. I mean, when sometimes you can tell an incredible story when you have a, a, a dominant heel like this. Um, even kind of remind me of Vader Flair a little bit. Like, this was just, it was awesome. But, um, yeah. Oh, one thing that stuck out to me. Did you catch that drop kick that uh, Suzuki did? Yes. That drop oh kick was freaking gosh. awesome. <laughs> yeah, dude. He killed him with that drop kick. And Tanahashi, we all know he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Maybe the greatest wrestler of all time. His his selling and the fiery spots that he would come up with, you almost started to believe that he could turn it around. But then Suzuki just did such an incredible job, like cutting him off. So then, like, let's get to the end of the match. Obviously, he started uh, he started going for the knee bar, basically, and then transitioning to the heel hook. And what were your thoughts when that was happening? I was just I was like, man, is Tanahashi gonna tap out? I was waiting for the tap out when he had them just hooked in there. I mean, he was hooked in there, and like I mentioned this to you after I first watched it, I was like, you know, obviously, it's it's a work, but. Uh, Suzuki is so good. He made it look like he was really wrenching that knee bar. That's what I was expecting uh, Tanahashi to tap out at any second. Yeah, well, when he started turning for the uh, the heel hook, for the heel hook, um, you know, Jeremy's got a background in you know amateur wrestling, but I have a background in like jujitsu and judo, that sort of thing. And one thing that separates a worked heel hook from a real heel hook when you're executing a real heel hook, and those of you who who watch the match, go back and pay attention to this. In order to really execute a heel hook, the idea is that you wrap your legs around uh, someone's thigh so that it's isolated. What you're doing is you're attacking the knee, so you wrench up on the heel of the of the shin so that the shin turns one way and the heel remains the other way so that you basically, it's one of the most dangerous things. Many rolling and jiu-jitsu tournaments have outlawed that move in general because it's so dangerous because you can tear every ligament in the knee, the MCL, PCL, ACL, the meniscus, the patella, all of it. You can just destroy someone's knee. Um, if you've ever seen, like for instance, uh, Ruzmar Palharis from UFC fame, and he's one of the dirtiest fighters of all time. He's like the master of that. He's destroyed guys' knees over the years. So, But one thing with uh, Suzuki, because he's a real shooter, he knows how to do this. If you notice, he won't, he'll wrap his legs around, but he won't isolate the thigh. He will keep his legs apart, basically. So it looks like he's doing it. And as he's wrenching on the, the ankle, Tanahashi's turning his hips over. And the so the ankle's turning, and the ankle's probably definitely in some sort of pain. Although he has working boots on, they give you some support, and they protect you to some degree from actually having your, your ankle torn. Um, plus, you can actually... This is something a lot of people don't probably know. You can turn the boot without actually turning the foot and making right. it look worse than it actually is. Yeah. So these guys are master workers, <laughs> but it looked so nasty. Yeah, it, you, I was just like, dude, Tana, please tap out, please. Yeah, I thought Tanahashi was definitely going to tap out. And then it's, it started getting kind of gratuitous at one point. Yeah. That was like one of the only maybe, maybe like drawbacks was 
for me, someone having now. I try to separate wrestling from like shoot fighting because I know they're not the same thing. There was a point in life where I stopped watching wrestling because I couldn't like separate them. I couldn't separate them, man. <laughs> I remember watching a, a, a fight one time with uh, back in TNA. I just turned it on. I hadn't been watching wrestling, and Kurt Angle was in a street fight with uh, Abyss, and Abyss is hitting him in the head, and Kurt's just got his arms down by his like Stop. sides, and he's just like turning back, taking the punches, and I'm like, put your hands up, Kurt. <laughs> Protect your face, man. Like, that was the kind of stuff that I couldn't, like, separate from. But now, like, I, it is what it is. I understand it. They're two different art forms. But with that being said, I think some moves, for instance, like, back in the 80s when shoot style was first starting up and people had never – people did not know about ground fighting. I mean, the Gracies hadn't happened. UFC had not happened. The internet had not happened. So – in the 80s, like late 80s and in the 90s when UWF and PWFG and war and all these like shoot promotions were going on, you could get away with doing a heel hook or some other similar move and working it for a while and people buying that the person wasn't tapping out. But in 2018, people that are educated and know what a heel hook is, it's seconds. It only takes a few seconds and right. it's over. So for him to be in that move for minutes at a time, I don't know. I didn't count, but it seemed like a long time. It was time. a long time. And obviously, uh, Tanahashi, he refused to tap out. So Red Shoes had to stop the match and rule that Tanahashi was unable to continue. So Suzuki is your winner, your new IWGP IC champion. I thought it was brilliant, the finish, because... You know, obviously, it seems at this point, and there's a lot of speculation. We don't know how long, but Tanahashi is going away. Right. But we have a built-in rematch right, right away. away. So, yeah, they took uh, Tanahashi out on a stretcher. And so, it makes you the idea that Tanahashi is supposed to be out for a while. He was um, pulled off the rest of his uh, February dates. And uh, he's been quietly pulled off the Australia shows. Um, he's still scheduled at this point to be on Supercard of Honor and Rev Pro WrestleMania weekend. We'll see. We'll talk more about that, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, he's him in the office. They're telling guys that Tanahashi will be ready for uh, WrestleMania weekend. He, he doesn't need to be at yeah. this point, probably. But, uh, yeah, I just thought, like, the fact that he didn't give up and he didn't tap out is really going to play into the story going forward when we... You know, when he comes back, because it's like this, he didn't actually lose, but he did lose, obviously. So that's kind of the brilliance of the ref stoppage. Whereas if Tanahashi had tapped out, there's no doubt in anyone's mind what happened on that night. You know what I mean? Right. Although, let's be clear here. This guy was not going to win this match. He was done. The ref stoppage was justified. So, I mean, the story there is that you have a broken down Tanahashi who wasn't at 100% who got beat by a, a despicable heel who was out hellbent to destroy him. We'll see what happens when he comes back. But I thought this match was great. I would have rated it probably like four and a half. Yeah. Yeah, definitely four and a half stars. And uh, something I want to mention, too, it's been something I thought about and I've heard other people bring up as well. How is this uh, Suzuki title run going to be? We saw last year he had the never open weight title, and his title run wasn't that great. Oh, no. Let's just not say that great. It was one of the biggest disappointments of the year. It was very yeah. bad. Yeah, it, it was, was bad. Yeah, I was trying to be nice, but, yeah, it was really bad. So at one point I'm kind of worried, like, how is this uh, how is his IC title run going to be? It seems like his first challenger is going to be uh, Togi Makabe. Well, yeah, the next night uh, they had a tag match, him and Azuka, which 
kill me if I have to watch another <laughs> Suzuki man. and Azuka match. Oh my god! And they were wrestling Hanare and Elgin, yeah, in a tag match, and that match was probably one of the. It's so weird that Suzuki went from having the best match of the of the entire uh, two night tour to maybe having, having the, the worst, worst match yeah. of the two night tour. Um, so that kind of maybe answers some of the question you're asking. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so at the end of the match, he put the uh, the heel hook on Hanare, kind of sold that. Hanare tapped. Then they start. Then all the the Suzuki Goon heels run in and they start attacking Hanare, and it's. Again, like Suzuki, don't need them, but he likes having them around. It's fun for him. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's he's not in the business of putting smiles on people's faces. Right. What what does he say? He's in the he's in the business of uh, hurting people. or something Yeah. Like that. So yeah, but then um, you know, Togi Makabe came out, and you know, Togi Makabe at one point suffered the same uh, injury that Hanare had uh, suffered last year, which was the uh, Achilles tear. So they're kind of like they've kind of built that like trust and bond. They were in the uh, tag tournament together, so he's kind of like a mentor to him. Right. And yeah, he came out and ran off all of uh, Suzuki Goon. Suzuki Goon, and he was actually on commentary the night before. And Suzuki, I guess, had mentioned him like kind of almost like th- throwing the challenge out to him and anybody else in New Japan. So I guess that's what they're building to. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Makabe versus Suzuki at some point for the next IC title defense. I mean, I off the top of my head, I can't think of a single Makame match that I've enjoyed outside of maybe a, some Ishii matches. Or I think him and Tenzan had a good match at the G1 two years ago. But that's like, I mean, Togi Makabe, it's been a while since he's been like a top level guy. Right. So I'm, I'm down with Suzuki being the IC champ. But I just hope that we will get to see some great title defenses this year. I mean, we'll talk more about this, but if... His title defenses this year, or anything like what his January has been like, I'm all for it. Yes, I, I'm a huge Suzuki mark. When Suzuki's at his best, he's one of the best in the entire business. I mean, he just went into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame this past year, and a lot of people were shocked by that, but I wasn't at all because yeah, he's a man. Yeah, he's incredible, and he's seen he's uh, starting to grow the hair back. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our friends over on One Nation Radio, they're like, "Oh, he's definitely losing his hair. He don't want that stuff." I'm like, "Nah, he likes that hair." Yeah, he's gonna get it back. <laughs> He's a Yakuza uh, guy. All right. Uh, second title change of the weekend. We had uh, Jay White versus Kenny Omega for the U.S. title. Uh, Jay White pulls up the upset victory and defeats Kenny Omega to become the new IWGP U.S. champion. What do you think about this match, Josh? Because there's a lot of people who are kind of, you know, throwing daggers at Jay White mm. and kind of have Jay White under a microscope since he's right. come back from Excursion. So what do you think about this match? Well, I will say I wish we would have not maybe done a review, but at least predictions before this so that we could have seen where we were at. I will just go on record and say I did think Suzuki was going to beat Tanahashi for the same reasons I thought Jay White was going to beat Tanahashi the month before. The man's broken down. Yeah. So I assumed at some point very soon he was going to be done. I mean, looking at the kind of shape he was in at New Year's Dash made all the sense in the world. This match, Omega versus White, was probably the one match this weekend where I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Mainly because Jay White coming in and the prominent position they put him in heading into Wrestle Kingdom, it seemed like this guy needs something to establish his character to make him a big deal. But after he lost to Tanahashi, it was like, then they moved him right into a feud with with Omega. It's like, well, he has to win. But it didn't really seem like it would make sense for him to win. Right. I mean, Kenny 
um, is pretty much he is the face of the U.S. expansion, right? And the whole purpose of the U.S. title was to be a part of that U.S. expansion. So you would figure that Kenny would go into Long Beach and go into Supercard of Honor with the U.S. title since he is the face of the U.S. expansion. Yeah. So it kind of didn't make sense for Kenny to lose either. So it was a situation where. Both guys kind of need to win, which also always makes for a great matchup. Right, that's what makes wrestling great when it's hard to predict. I will say that deep down, I kind of thought ultimately Omega was going to win this match. Right, I also thought Omega was going to win too. But I also felt like people would really complain if that happened because White needed the victory so bad here. Right, I mean, he came in, lost his first big title match, and then New Year's Dash, he's wrestling Kitamura. He pretty much like dropped back down to young boy status, and then they did the I didn't. I didn't think that. I thought, you know, I thought the Kitamura seven match series. I mean, look at the guys that are in it, like yeah. Elgin Juice. Like, I didn't think it was a, a step down at all. Plus, it was the only singles match on the whole uh, New Year's, New Year's Dash. Dash. So I was like, yeah, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, but then they did the Omega angle. So I mean, yeah, this, this was kind of like a must win situation for Jay White, or he'd be pretty much dead in the water if he lost two big title matches back to back. I will say this: there's been, a, like you said, there's been a lot of people putting this guy in our microscope, and I think that. You know, with him coming in without having really been established or built, uh, aside from just the attacks on Tanahashi, everyone was like, he's not ready for that position. And then on a card like Wrestle Kingdom that was so fantastic where that match kind of underperformed to what maybe a lot of people expected, there there it has been a lot of like uh, negative reactions to Jay White. I'm not sitting here being a, a Jay White apologist or saying he's over-delivering or, you know, he's the greatest superstar that ever came in or anything like that. But I will say this. I think that a lot of the criticism is misdirected because it's not like he is underperforming. Right. He's having good matches. I mean, yeah. Meltzer rated this match uh, 3.75 stars. That's a very good match. Yeah, it wasn't four. I would have probably gone like four. I was leaning more towards four. I mean, it wasn't, you know, five stars. It wasn't six stars. But it was still a very good match. It was a great match. Yeah. I liked this match a lot. Yeah. And his match with Tanahashi was a very good match, too. It was just in the middle of two really great matches. And also, he was working with a hurt Tanahashi, which still... I mean, yeah, Tanahashi's a great worker. But it, I thought that they still told a great story. In that match, it wasn't like that was a bad match at all. I think that people are expecting him to come in. They want him to be Kenny Omega, like night one. Right. They want him to be a a best bout machine and have five star matches every night. Right. And the other thing too is like a lot of people are just you know some fans are not necessarily fans of New Japan like the brand, but they like to just tune in and watch the good matches. So they're they're more fans of like the athleticism and the the competition. But if you're watching this guy's promos and the story that they're telling, this guy's a real game changer. Dude, yeah, he's going to change the landscape in 2018 with this whole wanting um, stable mates to go after each other if they have titles. So I'm not like sitting here saying I think that it's been a, a home run, but it's like, you know, they're they're doing a good job with him so far. And I think that it's too soon to call it on him. The other thing, too, is that a lot of people think like, I don't know, some fans think this is going to be like a gender situation where a guy comes in undeserving and gets pushed to the moon and they're just going to run with him forever. That's not how they operate in New Japan, guys. It, trust me, they know how to pull out the shovel when need be. They know how to bury somebody when need be. The deep push can come at any moment. And if he doesn't deliver the way he needs to, 
he will go down on the cards. Trust me when I say that. Like, trust me. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we don't have to worry about him being overpushed whatsoever. I feel like people should be a little more positive about the situation and give him a chance. But yeah. let's talk about this match. So it was all white early. Like, right off the bat. I mean, they started off with great striking exchanges, but then White came in and it was pretty dominant in the, like, early parts of this match. Uh, And then at, like, around the halfway mark of the match, Omega started taking over. And watching this, you know, we always go back and forth. Who's the best wrestler in the world? Is it Okada? Is it AJ? Is it this guy or that guy? But, man, sometimes when you watch Omega, even if this match wasn't, like, his best match ever, just his movement... His selling, yeah, his storytelling. Dude, he's so smooth in the ring, so crisp. He's just on a different uh, level, man. Dude, his selling is amazing. The facial expressions, like everything about Omega is just, you know, superb. And he was killing Jay White with yeah, he had a, triggers. He had a vicious side to him. That uh, When they went to the outside, that spot where he moved the whole people out of the front row and he did the powerbomb on the chairs. Yeah. Oh, that was vicious, bro. Yeah. That was when, like, the match had already started to, like, turn up, but that's when the match really, like, turned up, and I was like, this is getting great. And then, uh, yeah, uh, White came in, and then those V-triggers started kicking off, and I didn't count them, but it was... Dude, there was, like, at least, like, five or six of those V-triggers. It was more than that, More, man. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of V-triggers. I mean, it was to the point, like, how is uh, Jay White even, like, continuing? Like, I would figure, like, the match has to be over, like... Now, White's selling was very good in this match. I will say that. And I thought, overall, the match was just really good. There wasn't a lot of heat for it, though. I will say that. Like, some of the other matches on the card, even, like, the 10-man tag seemed to get a better crowd reaction. So, I don't know that the New Japan fans have fully gotten behind White yet. But, yeah, when Kenny started... And they were hot for Kenny, but maybe not Jay. But, man... Kenny started killing him with those V-triggers, and then it started getting, like, kind of excessive because he hit him with a bunch of them. Right, like, back to back to back. Yeah, and then he hit him with that J-driller. Yes. Oh, man. And I was like, there's no one should be getting up from that in pro wrestling. I don't care what year it is. That's Jay Briscoe's finish. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like, like, wow, that should kind of be the end. And then then there was the uh, controversial kickout. A lot of people. What did he hit him with before that kickout? Was uh, it, I think it was a couple uh, Snapdragons. Yeah, I think it was Snapdragon. Um, and so what happened here, you know, one, two, and all of a sudden you see Red Shoes stop the count. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, when I was watching it, like, I didn't see a kick out because the, how, they, how they cut the camera, like, it cut away from Jay White's shoulders. I don't know if they did that on purpose or not. So you couldn't see that he kicked out. But then they showed the replay, and you saw that he just barely got his shoulder off the mat, and Red Shoes was in position and called it as um, a kick out. Yeah, so I saw, you know, for me, it might have been a little different because... I know a lot of people watched that live and probably weren't looking for it, whereas I knew it was coming because I hadn't seen it live. I watched it on delay, and um, I thought it was great, to be honest with you. Um, I thought it was smart, and I'm a big fan of smart wrestling, smart booking. And one thing, I have a criticism of wrestling today where I see all the time where guys' shoulders aren't actually down. Maybe one shoulder is, but they're in position, and it's time for the ref to start counting, so they just do. And the ref's not actually looking. And I'm, I'm an old school fan, man. I remember the old school days where guys would be pinned and the ref would reach under there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, for me in the amateur wrestling background, when you're on your back, the referee's there the whole time. Yeah, checking to see if your shoulders are down so he can call the pin. 
Um, so it was definitely great officiating. I know a lot of times we knock the officiating in New Japan. Oh, the officiating was still atrocious. Yeah, I mean, it's still let's, horrible. Let's not. No, I'm not, I'm not giving them like a praise <laughs> for the whole weekend. But in that one instance, um, you know, Red Shoes was right there. He saw his shoulder wasn't down. And was able to call the kick out. I thought that too. Another thing that I don't like is when guys kick out and their shoulders don't come off the mat, but their legs kick up, so the ref calls it. So I thought I like it when there's consistency and and what the rules are supposed to be because it's supposed to be a sport. And when his shoulder came up a lot, I saw it, but you know I'm sure a lot of people weren't looking for it, and the fans were probably confused because one thing with wrestling, everything's supposed to be over dramatized so everyone in the arena can see it. So that might have been why it got the reaction it did. But um, on the replay, I mean, it was a good call. I thought it was smart, and I liked it. Plus, it added a different—it was different. Like, you know, and it's cool right. to have something different. Yeah, it was like similar that. to, like, when uh, Kevin Owens put his one finger <laughs> to do the rope break at WrestleMania last year. One thing I did not like, though, was—and I feel like, you know, Jay White is still trying to find his character. When he was hit—he got hit with, like, those two uh, kneeled— V triggers, and they start doing a weird laugh. laugh. Like he was almost like a Joker, like kind of. I don't of know. Like or, he was like Mick Foley in 1992 yeah. or something. Like I just I didn't really dig that so much. I feel like this guy still needs to find his character a bit, but his in ring work is great. So I I thought that was kind of weird. Right. And I think part of it too, like. I'm sure he's so used to working in babyface and using more of a high-flying offense. Right. Um, so this is a, definitely a big change for him. Working heel, not doing as much high-flying. Uh, so definitely, it's going to take him some time to adjust to that. Getting to the end of the match, though, the thing that really brought it down for me was when they started hit. he got hit with so many V-triggers, and then he did that spot where he was trying to put him in the one-wing angel, and he couldn't even do it because he, he was, was like, Yeah, he like... And I, I was like, fell. this should be a stoppage right here. And right, he can't defend himself. It was almost like Tanahashi stuff. Like, yeah. he's unable to compete, so stop the match. But then he slowly started working his way, started hitting Saito suplexes. There was one suplex, it was like a, a reverse sleeper, and Kenny landed on his head. I did not like that at yeah. all. It was really dangerous, but uh, he must be okay, I suppose. You know, you never know with wrestlers, I guess. But um, and then he just started like working his way back, and I was like, I just can't believe that. I like I couldn't actually suspend my disbelief, disbelief enough to believe that he could have come back with how bad he got beat. Yeah, he took he took too much punishment yeah. for a comeback. So then, but then he did come back, and uh, you know, he caught Kenny with the first. Um, well, he hit him with the Kiwi Crusher, and he kicked out. Hit him with the Sling Blade or uh, the Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Kicked out of that, which was that was a big moment because no one's kicked out of that yet. I don't think did Tanahashi kick out of that. I don't think he hit Tano with it, did he? I don't remember. I'd I have to go I, back. Yeah, but then uh, then it looked like he was gonna get put up for the one winged angel, and then he slipped out the back and he hit the Blade Runner again and got the pinfall. One, two, three, and it was clean, clean, clean. And I knew what the outcome of the match was before it happened when I saw it, but I assumed there was some sort of shenanigans. Yeah, same here. I also knew the result of the match before I was able to watch it, and so I just assumed, I'm like, oh, you know, I saw some stuff about the Bullet Club. I'm like, oh, I'm sure Cody must have ran out there and accidentally caused a distraction. 
and uh, Jay White picked the one off the distraction. But no, Jay White beat Kenny Omega clean. One interesting thing was they had Okada out there for commentary. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know how that played into like the Japanese side of the storyline, but that was very interesting that they have the leader of that faction out there watching this match. And yeah, Jay White got the biggest win of his entire career, uh, you know, on night two, which was a big deal. They also, one thing worth noting, neither night was sold out, if you noticed. Right. But they drew better for night two. With, with Jay White and uh, Kenny, Kenny versus Suzuki and Tanahashi. It's a little surprising. It wasn't much better, but they, they did pull in a bigger, uh, bigger house for that. And so after this match, we had a great angle. So Oh, man. Incredible angle. Yeah, so uh, Cody and... Uh, well, actually, Hangman Page comes out first. Hangman comes out immediately. He cha- yeah, he challenges Jay White for the U.S. title. Well, he was about to. Right. Well, I mean, he picked the belt he up. He picked the belt up. And he didn't get any words out. Right. He didn't cut a promo or anything, but obviously you can tell us what his intentions were. Kenny rips the belt away from Hangman Page, gives it back to Jay White. Mm-hmm. Then out come- Jay White leaves. Out comes Cody. Um, so, you know, telling him like, he took away Hangman's moment. Like, I'm sorry you lost the title. Yeah, they were, it was starting to get heated. Um, and then I think Skrull and, well, Nick Jackson was already out there. So Nick was in the ring and Marty comes out. So now you've got a bunch of guys. And it started heating up. They started pushing each other, uh, Cody and Kenny. And Hangman's just like looking so pissed. But yeah. he's kind of like the third, like third banana to what's going on with them. And then, uh, then Matt comes out. And what happened when Matt came out? So Matt comes out, you know, Cody and Kenny are still going at it. And then Matt's, like, trying to get, like, Kenny's attention. And Kenny turns around and pushes. Yo, he grabbed him by his head and threw him down on yeah. the mat. And he was still selling the injury from the match before. Right. And so Matt, you know, Matt uh, Matt and Nick are like, Nick's like, dude, what? He the just, crowd went silent. I know. They're like, dude, just push Matt, dude. Like, what, 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 what's going on, man? Like, <laughs> Kenny, why'd you push Matt? Yeah, and, and so, Kenny looked like he was shocked. Like, yeah, you know what he just done. Yeah, he was like, dude, I'm, he was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then uh, Matt and Nick were like, you know what, forget this, we're out of here. Yeah, so they kind of got out of there. And actually, the, the, the situation had been getting really tense between Cody and Kenny, and they were all trying to break it up. But then, all of a sudden, that kind of took a back seat to everything because of Matt. So then the other guys, like, Skrull was like, you know what? You guys have to figure this out between right. yourselves. Right, yeah, you guys settle this. Settle this, and he walked out, and then Hangman Page is looking pissed, but... Uh, he, he walked out. They they actually... Him and him and Kenny slapped hands. Yeah. He walked out, and then Kenny and Cody are in the center of the ring, and Kenny... Cody, Cody's just like, you know, I'm sorry you lost your match. It's going to be a fine. And it seemed like they were like... It seemed like they are about to be good. They, like, shook hands, and then, like, they shared some words. I don't know exactly what... And then that's when it happened. Uh, freaking Cody sits on the on the ring ropes, lifts the ropes up like he's creating an entrance for Kenny. Kenny starts to kneel to get out, and right at that moment, boom, boom jump zone, uh, grabs him, hits him with the crossroads. Yeah, he hit him with that crossroads, and it was like a shock. That crowd freaking blew up when that happened. Um, I'm, and Don Cows was great. Cody, Cody, what the hell are you doing? No, he's like, prick. <laughs> that, yo, that prick call was awesome. Oh like that, And, like, you know, us retelling you how good this angle was, I don't even think does it justice. This is one of the best angles they're going to run all year probably. It was a legendary angle. Right, and so then Cody goes and grabs a chair. Well, then, well... Skrull and Hangman Page both
both run back, back out. Yeah. And if you notice, one thing, so we had, like, all the being the elite guys in this, but, like, we didn't hear from Tama. We didn't hear from Fale. We didn't hear from Hikaleo. Tangaroa. Tangaroa. Chase. Like, none of those guys are involved in this at all. They're all kind of just not In the background, yeah. Yeah, like, and they were there that night, too. So it's not like they, we could be like, oh, they weren't on tour. Like, no one got involved in this at all. Kind of interesting. But anyways, um, he oh, yeah, one thing he kept telling um, Co- Kenny was he kept telling Kenny that he stole Hangman's moment. Right. He's like, this was his moment. It's not about you. You lost. It's over. Right. And this was his moment. And I thought that that was really good because it even though, like, Cody's the heel in this scenario, obviously, it did kind of paint Kenny in a bad light a bit to where like he was making he was messing up, he was making some bad decisions. He interfe- like he didn't really have to interfere in Hangman if you really think about it. Like why right. did he have to interfere with Hangman's channel? And then um yeah, Cody like t- tells Hangman, he's like, he stole your moment, hold him up, hold him up. And then Marty's like in the middle of all this. Marty's like going back and forth, like I don't know what to do. Like he didn't like really stop either guy from like from it happening. Right. But he wasn't with it either. Right. He, he was conflicted. Yeah. It was complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Cody goes to the outside. He gets a chair. He gets it from Kevin Kelly. And I was like, don't give him the chair. <laughs> He's like, you idiot. Yeah. And Don Callis is like, you idiot. Why did you give him the chair? And then um, right before he's about to whack uh, Kenny over the head, all of a sudden, boom, the biggest pop of the entire Kota Bushi. He just storms in there, runs everybody off. And, you know, the Bullet Club leaves and they just leave Cody and uh, Kota Bushi right there in the center of the ring. Uh, how did you react to this, Jeremy? Dude, I was marking out, you know, this Golden Lovers angle has been played out for such a long time. And the anticipation of the Ibushi Omega match, it, you know, it's been at an all-time high the last couple of years. Everybody is keeping trying to predict when the match is going to happen. A lot of people thought it was going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom this year. And so it was just a great moment. You see them kind of like talking to each other. Like at first, Kenny's like he's kind of rejecting Kota at first looked like. But then eventually they embrace and get the big hug. Crowd goes wild. The Golden Lovers are back together. Yeah, when he when they finally hugged, it was and then the confetti came down. It was like, dude, this is a big, big moment. And I mean, guys, if you have been watching New Japan for a while or you're new to it, you have to understand like this storyline between these two goes back to like 2015. And I mean, obviously they attacked before that, but like in New Japan, like it goes back to a look, literally. Like when Abushi uh, was getting attacked by the Bullet Club and by AJ Styles, I think it was after. It wasn't the G One. It might. It was probably after. Maybe not King of Pro Wrestling, but it was definitely. Um, he won the New Japan Cup, I believe, and then he challenged AJ. Yeah. Invasion attack is after Invasion attack, and they attacked Abushi, and Omega was part of the Bullet Club, and he was conflicted, and he just he gave Kota Abushi this look, and they're. They've been teasing it since that time. Yeah. You know, and they've kept them apart. I mean, we've seen after the G1 when they, when, uh, this past year when Kenny lost and he got embraced by Kota Bushi backstage, that was like they've been building this up slowly but surely. And one thing that's amazing about New Japan 
unlike some of the other like major companies that are out there, they don't like tease something and not pay it off. Right. Like if they tease it, like there's going to be a payoff for it. They don't. They're not going to expect you to forget and then don't you know fulfill what they're teasing. They don't make it make you forget. Like oh, these guys used to tag at one point and then like just randomly throw them together at like a road to show for no reason. Right. With no like build or anything like that. So I mean, this has been building. And then obviously the Cody and Kenny, Kenny thing has been building for pretty since much last since year. pretty much since Cody's been the Bullet Club. Yes, they've the whole time. Yeah. And, um, but really, it started at Dominion. Right, with the whole t- throwing a towel in. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this is brilliant. I mean, this is booking, like, this is master a masterwork in booking. And then they continued the angle on uh, the latest two episodes of being the elite. Plus the backstage comments, too, with the, you know, afterwards with Cody and the Young Bucks. I mean, like, it's really good stuff. Right, and, uh, and the one being the elite, you see, at the end, you see, um, Omega and Kota Ibushi go in the Young Bucks um, hotel room in Japan and then the, the latest episode you see you know Matt Jackson being you know doesn't know what side he wants to be on he's wearing both of the t-shirts <laughs> yeah when the when the when it kept cutting back and forth and then one scene he was wearing Kenny's shirt and then the next scene he's wearing the Cody shirt yeah but they didn't like point it out it's just very subtle yeah. I was like that is so bro I was dying and then at, at the that. end of that we saw uh, you know the big news uh, Nick Jackson he saw the future super card of honor it's gonna be Kenny Omega versus Cody and we're gonna be there yo when uh <laughs> When Nick was like falling on the ground and he's just like, he has the one arm up and he's got like this pained look and he's seeing the vision. I was like, this is so great. Like, oh my God. And I did not, I mean, like I heard rumors that they were planning to do this match there, but I didn't actually think it was going to happen or get announced this soon. So the fact that it's already like announced and... Strong Style Evolved hasn't even happened yet, and we have all these, you know, Honor Rising and everything like that. I'm not sure what's going to happen between now and then. Right. I mean, things are going to heat up. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of questions surrounding this angle. All our questions are about this angle this week, probably, huh? Yeah, they are. (laughs) So, um, first question comes from Kyle Moores, and he asks, is this the beginning of the end for the elite? Um... I think it's definitely the beginning of a split, maybe in Bullet Club. I think this might be actually the start for the Elite, and we might see an Elite faction of maybe the Young Bucks, Kenny, and Kota Ibushi. Well, you know, you know something, Mean Gene. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just playing. You know, when uh, Kenny first took over, um, when was that? That was in 2016? Yeah. Yeah. So in the beginning of 2016, he's talked about this, and so have the Young Bucks, where they expected the Bullet Club to end and the Elite to be their own thing. And so I think that's where they always originally thought they were going to go. But then, you know, New Japan didn't want to go that way. It was too marketable to keep the Bullet Club viable as a brand. And obviously... And then they blew up with the Hot Topic deal. They've been killing it this past year. And I think this last year, from a marketing standpoint, has been like a landmark year for all those guys involved with it. However, with that being said... I think the fear was if you take Kenny and you take the Young Bucks out of the Bullet Club, what do you have left at that point? And that was in 2016. That was hot on the tail of them losing Gallows, Anderson, Anderson and AJ. And AJ. And so it was it was almost too soon for them to like break off because then it's like you just lost six of your biggest core guys. But if they split off in 2018, 
I mean, you've got Cody, you've got Skrull, you've got Hangman, you've got Yujiro. You've got all the Tongans. you got all the Tongans. you got Chase Owens. He's Tongan. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even an honorary Tongan anymore. He's a real Tongan. Yeah. So with that being said, I could hypothetically, from a marketing standpoint, see where they – it might be better for them to where they can now go off and they can – license and merchandise the elite and still license and merchandise the bullet club because i'm pretty sure they don't want the bullet club going away right i mean that's some for, for money reasons yeah that's like throw light and money on fire like completely bricking that group up but i think that that was what the um and then that was the problem last year when cody and kenny were teasing their dissension it was like well what will happen to the bullet club if that happens you know what i mean right at the time it seemed like wow like what would happen but at this point it seems like even though over the past year, the Bull Club, in maybe the past two years, the Bull Club to me is almost not even really a faction. It's just like a group of guys that, you know, wear, that wear the same T-shirt. That wear the same T-shirt. They're not what they were when, when Prince Devitt was running it. And, you know, they weren't what – the original Bull Club is a totally different thing than when AJ was running it, to be honest. And, it, and then since Omega took over, it's been completely different. That being said um, – they have enough strength in talent and characters to where the the group could hypothetically continue without Kenny and the Young Bucks if it had to at this point. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of different options they can do with that. And so uh, next, Kyle had another question. Do you think that the Elite's going to split off? Um, I, think that, I, th- I think it's possible. I think they almost at this point would have to unless... Unless they kick Cody out, because Cody and Kenny cannot exist, coexist in the same faction. They either, yeah, they'd either have to kick Cody out, and Cody's gone, or if Kenny's gone, then I would say, in my opinion, the Young Bucks. Now they don't have to do this, but it would almost seem stupid to not have the Bucks go with him, because there's so much marketing ability with the Young Bucks and uh, Kenny. To where, why would they not go with him? That's right. where the money is. Right. And for all the promoters out there in Ring of Honor, New Japan, and PWG, it would not make sense to not keep that team together. That'd be like breaking up the New Day. You know what I mean? Right. It's stupid <laughs> at this point. So they would probably have to stay together. And then I'm, I'm still wondering, like, what happens to being the elite? Right. Because obviously, like, Cody and Hangman Page and Skrull are involved in that. And so this is really hard to call. Yeah, this is going to, like, shift the whole foundation of the Bullet Club and how they do everything. So Kyle had another question. He asked, could Hangman Page increase his stock for a strong match against Jay White? Well, I think he's been increasing his stock over the past year or so, having having good matches or, you know, good showings in matches. I think he does too much babyface stuff to be a, a top heel. <laughs> or out there doing shooting star shoulder presses from the crazy apron. stuff, man. Like the flip over, like burning lariat that he does. I mean, it's all cool stuff, but um, I don't know how I feel about a match between him and Jay White. I don't even know if that match is going to happen. They teased it, but I mean. Well, Honor that- Rising is coming up. Why yeah. not? Why not give Jay White his first defense in his former excursion promotion against Hangman? I think Hangman Page has a, a problem with charisma. That's kind of where he lacks in ring ability and like athleticism. He's he's in, he's great. He's incredible for a guy his size. I don't know too many guys his size that can do the things he does. But um, could him and Jay White? I think that Jay White and Hangman Page could both raise their stock if they have a strong match against each other. Definitely. I mean, 
in a way, Hangman's more established than Jay White is. He is. Yeah. So I mean, so I mean, this would, that match would probably help Jay White out more than it would Hangman. I think that's what he, he would be there to do is to be a utility player to get Hangman Page over more so. And I also think that somehow, some way, the idea that Jay White's trying to break up the Bullet Club that would play into that whole storyline as well. So I don't see Hangman beating Jay White anytime soon if they do end up wrestling. But yeah, I think it, it would be a you know a potential turning point for both guys. So yeah, to answer your question, yes, it could. Raise both their socks. Then Simon Cotton asks, can Cody take the next step in his career by coming the next leader of the Bullet Club? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Simon, I'm not really... I don't know what... I don't know what's going to happen, bro. Like, I'm too torn. I hope that they know what they're doing. I mean, if they wanted to make the Bullet Club more heelish, back to, like, the heel roots, I mean, going with Cody as a leader uh, could be good and it definitely could increase um, his you know notoriety notoriety in Japan yeah so I mean it, it could help him in Japan for sure and I think that that's maybe I don't think that Cody needs to take the next step quote unquote because if you've been watching this guy lately he's a star now. yeah he's a superstar he is a star in Ring of Honor and in on the indies and now in New Japan like he is over finally um, with that being said I think he he could still become a bigger star in New Japan and I think that this um, entire storyline can catapult him to there now I don't know what I don't know if he'll be the leader of the quote unquote bullet club I don't know what they're going to call it or what it's going to be or what's going to happen, but um, I do see in some form or fashion he will probably be taking a portion of the guys with him and leading something of some nature. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Simon also had a follow-up question. He said, how will this angle affect the members of the Bullet Club who aren't a part of the elite? So we're talking about, you know, the, the Tongans, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, uh, Yujiro, Takahashi. Um, how does this affect these guys? And these guys, I mean, they're part, most, so most, most of those guys are OG Bullet Clubs. They are part of the original Bullet Club faction. And it's kind of... Well, to be clear, it's only really Tama and Fale. Yeah. They're the only two. But by, you almost count Hikaleo and... Uh, and Tangaroa because they're brothers with with Leo Tonga or I'm sorry with, with uh, Tamatonga Tamatonga and then um, you know and they're all Tongan all of them including Chase <laughs> <laughs> with that being said I mean what are your thoughts as far as I mean you you, you caught Tamatonga's like comments and on these things and right I think at some point eventually we're gonna see these guys play into this storyline they've kind of been sitting in the background I think they're kind of waiting to see where things kind of uh, play how things play out they're like neutral on the whole thing right I mean I mean it's not too crazy to proposition maybe Tamatonga uh, being the leader of the Bullet Club, or you have those guys just break off into their own faction and it's like the Tongan Club, pretty much, and you have Tama leading those guys. I don't want to. I don't want them to overbook this stuff too much. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of guys that are gonna fall, and they have to figure out how to place the chips without overbooking this stuff and turning it into a Wolfpack versus Hollywood scenario. Right. That that sucked. Even though they made a lot of money off the Wolfpack merchandise, which dude, I was a Wolfpack mark. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you'll—I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, lately the the Tongans have been wearing red and black. Yeah, I've been noticing that a bit, and um, you know, 
Tamatonga hasn't been like completely quiet about what's been going on. I mean, I mean, he's been uh, very verbal, even like going back to, like last, last year, year in the G one when he against Kenny. Yeah, the match with Kenny, he cut amazing promo on Kenny during the match. The uh, the G one press conference, he was the highlight of that conference. The statements he made about the elite. And everything like that. And then if you watch the World Tag Tournament, every night he was talking about, you know, two sweet versus one sweet. Right. And uh, all the things he was talking about, how they like the real Bullet Club was holding it down in Japan while those American guys were over there doing, you know, whatever they do. <laughs> and um, I, I think that if you just are like a casual fan and all you are familiar with are the Bullet Club members that are in Ring of Honor and that sort of thing, you're missing out on a on this gem of a performer in Tamatanga, I think he's ready to be a leader in New Japan. I mean, he comes from the dojo system. He's been like, he's rised in the ranks from being a jobber guy to where like now he's kind of established to where he's ready. Like I think in the next G1, he could be like, a, I could see him maybe going to a finals or getting to like a B block finals, like, you know, like a Goto type, type of uh, performer. He's ready for that kind of place. His ring work is excellent. His promos are excellent. I just don't know how it's going to play out with all this, the spotlight being on Kenny and Cody. Right. On the pretty much quote unquote American Bullet Club. Right. So I don't know how it's going to affect them. Obviously, at some point, there's going to have to be some sort of decision that's going to have to be made. The only thing that I hope for at the end of the day is that Chase stays with the Tom. Yes, he has to. He has to. Um, he knows where his bread is buttered. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Howard Schilling. He says, is Cody finally becoming the real-life Dr. Doom that he's been hinting at for the last decade? Is he talking about, like, his dashing uh, character in WWE? Yeah. I don't... I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do know he's got a broken cheekbone right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Cody's always... I think he's been a better heel than a babyface. And so I He's a great heel. Yeah. I mean like Don Cal said, I mean he's a prick. I mean yeah. and he plays it well. I mean, especially in that being the elite where he's he's uh, you know, him and Brandy are on vacation and they're like showing all the stuff they're doing, like in the mountains. They're fine. <laughs> they're having a great time right now. Yeah. They're living it up. He um you know, he's been studying Flair lately and emulating him and it's like that's the kind of character that he's trying to draw off of in a way. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if he's – I don't know what kind of character he's becoming, but I know his character work has been excellent this past year or the past couple yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, his character work is what makes him stand out in Ring of Honor. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of guys in Ring of Honor that are great workers, but not a lot of great characters. Yeah. And then uh, what did Ricky and Clive say? Yeah. Shout out to Ricky and Clive. Uh, I'm not going to shout out your shoot names on the air. <laughs> Um, but I, I know them now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, Ricky and Clive asked, do you think the all-in event needs a top star from New Japan slash a returning CM Punk to sell out? Or do you think it's possible to sell out without either of those? Yes, they need it. They need... Well, first of all, I mean, they already have a top New Japan star and Kenny, Kenny Omega, Omega booked on the show. And let's not kid ourselves. Cody is one of the top drawing stars in the world right now. Now, on the indies, yes, the indies don't draw the way that WWE is. So we're not talking WWE numbers here, but this is a guy who's pulled two of the biggest houses in North America in the past, like, year. Uh, both of the shows that he did for All Pro Wrestling over in uh, San, San Francisco yeah. at the Cow Palace. 
those are huge houses, two of the biggest houses that have been pulled in the last decade outside of WWE in, in North America. So they've, and the Young Bucks obviously are huge draws all over the world. So yeah, they've got top guys, but do to sell at a 10,000 seat arena, do they need, I think that they need to A, before they sell tickets, announce the lineup. Right. Or at least who's going to be there. And yeah, they need top stars to, to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, if I were them, I'd try and get like a Naito, uh, you know, maybe even Okada, Michael Elgin. It's just that, like, we know right now, you know, New Japan just had a, a sellout in a matter of minutes, and they probably could have sold out an arena like this, but they're doing that built off of the brand. I mean, yes, it is the wrestlers, but we don't even know who's coming to Strong Style Evolved yet. It's the brand at this point, and that's right. how strong the brand is. But, um, you know, Ring of Honor... They're running a big arena during WrestleMania weekend, and it's not sold out yet. And they're running a fraction of what All In is supposed to be, maybe half of what All In is supposed to be, and they're still not sold out. Well, I mean, we haven't got any ticket update numbers after I, the announcement. I just looked. You just looked, okay. Yeah. I mean, they're close. They're close to being sold out, but even still, they're still only running about... We'll, we'll go over the numbers, but it's, it's not 10,000. Right. <laughs> so... This is not a branded event, just to be clear, even though it's probably technically, I guess you could consider it as one, but like it's not like New Japan's coming to America. So in order for them to pull this off, they're running it off of their own notoriety. They have to have top stars. They right. just have to. They're not going to sell out just running Kenny at the top of the card right now. It's not going to happen. They need something bigger. to like They need a master card to do it. Right, so it's going to be interesting to see who else, you know, gets added on to that as we get closer and what the location is and who they can get to be on this show. Yeah. All right, and so there was one more title change that happened, a new beginning in Sapporo, and it was during the Young Bucks versus Punky 3K for the junior heavyweight tag titles. And this was probably one of the best Young Buck match in New Japan. Yeah, it was one of the best Young Buck, Young Buck matches I've ever seen. Period, yeah. Period. It was the best Rapongi 3K that we've seen in their short time, like, teaming up, you know, in New Japan so far. Um, this match was great. I mean, really, 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 really great. And um, something I really enjoyed about this match was the storytelling. So if you remember, we, we talked about their match at Wrestle Kingdom. We mentioned how they took out Rocky Romero yep. and showing your... Almost they were lost, lost without their coach. It. It's like a football team, like without a coach calling the plays for them. They can only get so far. So in this match, you know, the Young Bucks once again did try to take out Rocky Romero, but they failed. And Rocky Romero was there the whole match. So Sho and Yo had their coach in their corner, helping them call the plays. Well, what I liked about it was how the beginning of the match started off with a, a very, very strong and exciting early shine from Rapongi 3K. So Rapongi 3K was dominant the way that you see a lot of tag team matches from the faces shine, shine up the, the heels. And then as soon, like literally the moment that the Young Bucks got the upper hand and uh, cut them off, they started chasing Rocky Romero immediately. Right. So like that was brilliant storytelling because they're like, you know what? Before we even try to inflict any damage or anything, now now that we have our spot, let's pick our spot. Right. Let's get rid of their let's coach. Let's get rid of their coach and put them back down a peg. And they chased they chased Rocky Romero 
all the way up the ramp. Rocky started running it. And uh, <laughs> it's just so funny because Rocky Romero is one of the premier like juniors in the world. He's not like a stooge. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, playing a manager, he plays an excellent stooge. <laughs> like he ran like he was scared for his life. And these guys, he's been wrestling for like a decade. Ever, yeah. <laughs> and he ran all the way to the back. And then... Um, you know, the, the Bucks chased him all the way to the backstage, and you can hear him being like, ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> And then uh, they brought him out, and they're like, let's let's do it again, Matt. And they set him up like they're going to powerbomb him right on the, uh, the, ramp. the ramp, which I was like, dang it. They're going to do it again. I thought they were going to do it. And then um, Sho and Yo learned from their mistake, and they stopped it. And um, when it, when the fight started breaking out out there, I was like, okay, this match is already really really good. And then um, Matt did that that flipping senton right off the stage onto Rapongi 3K, laid them all out. But then when he came down, he landed. He just kind of like just slightly tweaked his back. Right, and you know the back was already previously injured in the Wrestle Kingdom match, so he re you know aggravated that injury. And that was the downfall for the Young Bucks. I will say that, like, his um his selling from that point on was just incredible. Oh, dude, for all these old-timers to, you know, say the Young Bucks are just video game wrestlers and they can't sell and blah, blah, blah. Like, watch this match. Like, Matt Jackson was excellent here. Well, a lot of times when the Young Bucks sell stuff, they do it in a cartoonish, like, over-the-top way to where it is funny and it's entertaining. It's like comedy wrestling. Right. This was not that at all. Yeah, like, this, this was like serious. Like, this was serious. Like, I'm in deadly pain right now. I need to tag Nick as soon as I can possibly can. Yeah, and um, oh, there was one <clears throat> one thing I liked about this match was when uh, they did the double powerbomb on to either show or you. I don't remember who it was. Onto the apron. Yes. And then Kevin Kelly is like, shout out to KO. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, for those of you that don't know, like Kevin Owens is like really good friends with uh, the Young Bucks, so that was interesting. But what I loved about this match was the ebbs and flows in the in the like storytelling. Because mm-hmm. um, in the beginning, obviously, like the Young Bucks were the heels and showing you are the white meat baby faces, and once they cu- they came back from that apron spot, like. Yo was in there, and Yo's like the Ricky Morton of their team. He's always the face in peril, and they did an excellent job, like, cutting him off and beating him up, and every time he kept trying to... But, like, Matt was clearly in pain the whole time. Like, Matt's still selling the back, but they're they're working, like, excellent, like, psychology to where they're working around his back pain to still dominate the match. Right. Which I thought was so smart. Yeah, there was partial, like, you know, they were going for their uh, buckle bomb, like, Inziguri combo, and, like, Nick had to, like, come back inside and help Matt pick yeah. him up for the buckle bomb and then run back to the the Enzi part. Or there's one part where Matt was hurt and he was trying to do something and he couldn't do it. It might have been a sharpshooter, and so it opened up a chance for Yo to get the tag. And Nick runs in, pulls Yo to the corner, tags Matt out, and then Yo gets a gets a spot like like a desperation spot, like he's gonna be able to tag in. But they didn't know that Matt, who was hurt, had rolled out of the ring, and he pulls show right off the the apron. Yeah. And I was like, that is so freaking smart. <laughs> because, you know, tag wrestling can be formulaic, and we see it in WWE. And like, But what makes great tag matches great is when they take that formula and they just slightly tweak it a little bit. It's what the Revival 
is so good at doing in WWE. It's like they follow that same Southern style tag formula, but they tweak it a little bit to turn it into something unique that you're not expecting. And then it, it brings, it changes your like expectations of a match. And it takes you on a, a better, like dramatic ride. You know what I mean? Right. And then there's one point in the match where, uh, he's showing you hit the three K on the apron. I believe it was to Nick Jackson. What's the three K? That's like their like three D looking move where like one guy puts oh, it for yeah, the yeah, flapjack yeah, yeah. and the other guy catches a little flatliner kind of thing. Matt took a crazy bump to the outside at one point and you could see his whole side was, it was red. red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he must have got like skinned alive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, there were so many spots that they did. This to me was like the epitome of like Southern style tag wrestling from the eighties mixed in with like that X division junior like style from the two thousands. This is like the perfect blend of those two styles of wrestling to like, I'm like, this is like masterclass in tag team wrestling right now. I thought this match was incredible. And then, um, I don't know that at one point then Matt became the face in peril. Right, and yeah. All, and all of a sudden, like, the people that were cheering for Show and Yo, they started cheering for the Young Bucks because Matt became the face in peril. And you you don't see ever where, like, the heel team is in, is dominating and then it flips and then all of a sudden, like, they're trying to get a hot tag. And he's trying desperately the whole match to get <laughs> Nick into the match. Yeah. I thought that was so smart. And um, something else, too, in the storytelling, not only did they call back to the Wrestle Kingdom match with, with certain stuff, yeah. they also called back to the Rapungi Vice matches. Yeah. If you remember in those matches, um, Trent Beretta, he was a partner that was taken out with the uh, big die on the ramp, and then he had to come... Um, well, that was at Wrestle Kingdom, but if you remember even going further back, they'd done the same storyline when they lost the titles to the Young Bucks because Rocky Romero was the one that was hurt and right. Trent Beretta was left on the inside. So they're like calling back to that entire feud in general, which is so smart. What I loved about this too is like, I remember watching one of my favorite tag matches of all time is the Midnight Express versus uh, the Fantastics. There's, there's a match from Worldwide in 1988 and they do two face in peril spots which is different because you always see the one face in peril and then the hot tag and then you go for the finish. But they did two, two of them where both both guys on the team ended up getting injured. And then the Midnight Express gets caught at the end and gets rolled up. This was almost like that, except in reverse, where each team had a face in peril spot, which was really great. And I mean, like, they did a lot of, like, we're not even covering all the high spots and the crazy, like, signature moves that these guys did. They, they kept killing those guys with the, I don't know what the Bucks are calling it, but when they stretch them out and then they flip oh them. yeah 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 I don't think there's a name for it but yeah pretty much like one stretches them out and then on the outside they did like a swanton and they the did inside they did a 450 onto it oh that it was, was crazy but then uh, so we get to the basically the final of the match where uh, Matt he has Yo locked in the sharpshooter mm-hmm. but you know his back was in so much pain he couldn't hold a sharpshooter he tries and to then, go for it again the second time he gets rolled up one two, two three, three. And Rapungi 3K are now two-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Champs. Kind of surprised. Not surpri- I'm not surprised in the sense that it seemed like Sho and Yo probably needed the win to keep the feud going. Because if they lost, that's that, it. That's it, yeah. But I was surprised they did this like a month later after they just took the titles off them. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was probably the right way to go. If, if they were going to make the match this soon, this is what had to happen. So, I don't know. I thought that match was really incredible. Like, I can't praise it enough. Uh, if you love tag wrestling or you like, you know, flipping action, high spots. like <laughs> Shout out Rich Flatter. <laughs> the whole time I was watching, I was like, dude, Rich has got to see this match. Yeah. It's really, 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 really good. 
So that was awesome. That was probably aside from uh, from uh, Tanahashi and Suzuki. That was the probably the second best best match of that weekend. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then something else um, on New Beginning in Sapporo, we had two more matches in the Kitamura seven-match series. On yeah. night one, he faced Big Mike, Michael Elgin. Night two, he faced Juice Robinson. Thoughts on Kitamura's performance? I thought Kitamura was very good in both matches. I thought, this is just my opinion, I thought the Elgin match was maybe better. I don't know. what you Did you like the Juice match better? No, I liked the Elgin match better. And I thought it was very interesting in uh, Kitamura's backstage promos. He was like, I was, I was looking forward to this. I saw it as like a power clash of the, like a U.S. strong man against a Japanese strong man. Because like, I wasn't strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm a big fan of the Haas-style matches. Some of my favorite, like, New Japan matches always involve, like, Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow and, like, Hashimoto and Tenzan, like, big guys like right. that. So I, I love the Bruiserweights and, like, the Haas-style matches. So I like that match a lot. I thought that I, – I think Kinomura's getting better, like, like pretty quickly. I'm excited to see what ends up happening with the seven-match series just in general. So far they have – the first six matches all outlined. We know the dates. We don't know who his seventh opponent's going to be. So far, he's lost all three matches. <laughs> right. Because uh, he's fought. His first challenge was with Jay White. Yeah. And he did well in that match, but he got caught because uh, Jay White kept going for the knee and took him out and kind of cut him down to size. Right. He got outpowered by Elgin. And then uh, in the match with... Uh, Juice, he kind of just got outclassed. Right, yeah. I mean, he was, better you, class. you know, tossing Juice around and really um, using his power against Juice, but Juice was able to pull out the win with the pulp friction. They always talk about how he's rushing so much, and he always just goes at one speed, like, so quick. And, I, I mean, you can see he is still very green, but from watching him at the beginning of, like, the Young Lions, like, project matches to now, there he's, like, greatly improving. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we do see that he's got matches coming up on the next two Road to New Beginning shows. He's got a match with Tenzan. He did have a match with uh, with Kojima, but Nakanishi is going to replace him. And then at New Beginning in Osaka, he's going to wrestle Nagata, which that should be great. And then we don't know who his seventh opponent will be. We don't know when it's going to be. I'm assuming it'll be the anniversary show. That's what, I'm thinking. That's what makes the most sense, I would think. They had rumored it was going to be Tanahashi. <coughs> But now with Tanahashi's injuries, we don't know who it's going to be. Um, I mean, what do you think, Jeremy? Uh, I don't really have an idea of who it could be. I th- I'll tell you who I'd like it to be. Why not Ishii? Oh, that's a good call. It should be Ishii. That would be really good. I had kind of thought maybe they'll do Liger. Like, I don't know, just because they're running with all these like older established stars. Right. And, you know... When Tanahashi got injured, they took him out. They replaced him with Liger, so why not just run it back? <laughs> you know? But at the same time, like, man, Ishii against... Uh, That's a Haas match right there. That's a Haas match. Dude, that would be a strong style match. Yeah, and at the anniversary show, I think it would be a good way to get Ishii out of this freaking tag <laughs> tag team and actually display him to some degree. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'd love to see that. Then also, um, the rest of the matches on these shows, there were a lot of multi-man matches, uh, which majority of them were building uh, towards the new beginning in Osaka. We -hmm. saw a lot of stuff between uh, LIJ and Chaos. Yeah. I mean, um, on the first night, 
couple things was like, you know, we saw a lot of LIJ and Chaos uh, matchups. I kind of thought in the six-man tag that they did with LIJ and Chaos, and that was with Yoshihashi and Naito on the teams. No, it might have just been a tag match, I, I believe, that night. Uh, yeah, wasn't it? It was Osprey and um, uh, oh. and Yoshihashi Osh- against... Naito and uh, Hiromu. Yeah, and... I thought, like, Osprey came off looking better than Yoshihashi did. Like, I almost believe more that, like, he has a chance at beating Naito, yeah. Naito than Yoshihashi does. Dude, yeah, they're trying, like, really hard to get Yoshihashi over as this tough guy. And I think it was night two after the match. He was, like, trying to attack Naito. And, like, Naito was just, like, being Na- tranquilo. Yeah. Just, like, when Jericho attacked him, like, not even caring. Like, turned yeah. his back to him. And Yoshihashi's, like... Yoshihashi tried to, like, thumb his eyes out at one point. I know. And, like, Naito didn't care. He literally just does not care. He doesn't see Yoshihashi as a threat, and rightly so. Like, Yoshihashi is no threat to him at all. He's just turning his back to him and walking away, so... Um, now, because it's so obvious that Naito should win, do you think Yoshihashi could pull up an upset win here? Yeah. I do, because uh, New Japan does that kind of booking sometimes, especially, like, if the story ends up being that Naito needs to rebuild. Yeah, I could see that. But... One thing that's interesting is we're seeing a return of Tranquilo Naito, you know, after, you know, him playing to the crowd and missing out on his big moment, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom. We're seeing with like at the uh, at Fantastica Mania and then now here on these new beginning shows, it's like we're seeing a return of the old Naito, you know, the Naito who just does not give an F about anything. So it's kind of nice to see that, but I'm not really that excited about this match, but they did build to it with the attack from Yoshihashi on night one. Um, Also, let's talk about night one when they did the six-man tag with uh, Okada and Sonata. Right, yeah, after the match... Okada got um, Sonata into the I don't know what he calls it. Well, the uh, what, what were we calling it? The uh, billion yen dream. Yeah, he hit, yeah he uh, he put um, originally he put so he won the match by putting Bushi in the billion yen dream. That needs to be the name of that move. I swear to God, like New Japan needs to freaking we need to like tweet Kevin Kelly and tell him to call it the billion yen dream is what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, he put Sonata in that and choked him out because he wanted to hear from Sonata. But, you know, Sonata doesn't really speak. Yeah, he tried to get Sonata to cut a promo. Sonata grabbed the mic and just dropped it. And then afterwards, like, Okada just, while he was walking down the aisle, Okada ran out there and freaking attacked the crap right. out of him. Pretty much like that heel, like, arrogant Okada that we saw against Tanahashi. Yeah, he's acting like a douchebag. And then uh, he, he brought Sonata back in the ring, and then he pulled out a bunch of the Okada bucks and stuffed them in, in his, his mouth like some Ted DiBiase stuff. And he put him in the billion end dream, and I was like... I might be right about this whole chaos as heel because <laughs> we saw Yoshihashi attack on night one. We saw Okada attack. We've obviously like Gato's always doing like heelish stuff. Right. I might I might be onto something here. <laughs> also, and, and then the next night. Uh, no, no, no. Let's just point out how there's no way they can be faces because Okada's still wearing them freaking pants, <laughs> and only a heel would wear those freaking pants. Oh my god! I thought that was a one night thing only. No nah, man, that's oh that's his 2018 gear. <laughs> Jeez, oh my gosh! And um, so yeah, night two, uh, Sonata got some heat back 
Yeah. So, yeah, Sonata. Now, that 10-man tag, I enjoyed a lot. Yes. I thought it was a very good match. And, you know, they do a lot of multi-man matches in New Japan, but sometimes when the, and they're kind of formulaic and, you know, they're by the numbers. But when you see, like, a good one, they do them better than almost anybody else. And this was great. And I thought it was an awesome way to get over all five. Because these are going to be five singles matches at New Beginning in Osaka. Right. So we're going to get Bushi against Gato. We're going to get uh, Hiromu against Osprey. We're going to get Yoshihashi against Naito. We're getting uh, Evil versus Goto. And then Sonata versus Okada. So we had all these matches matchups here. And I will say a couple things. One, I, I'm actually excited about the three top title matches. I thought that Evil and Goto's interactions were like... Dude, that's going to be a strong style match. Yeah, I was like, this is going to be a strong style match. And I love strong style. Like, they were hitting each other freaking hard. And I was like, that's going to be awesome. The stuff with uh, Hiromu and Osprey was excellent. Dude, I mean, we already seen those guys. And we know they can tear it up. But I don't think... Have we seen them one-on-one? Or did, did they go one-on-one in the Best of Super Juniors? I think they did. I think they did. But, like, this is going to be an excellent match, too. And then the stuff with Okada and Sonata was really good well, I mean, that dude, match. Sonata's just... We talk about this all the time, and he's just phenomenal in the ring. I mean, he doesn't... His character, and, you know, it's not the best or whatever, but when it comes to wrestling, man, Sonata, he's a man. Did you notice that Chaos attacked LIJ to start the match off? Yeah. Before the bell rang? Before... Yeah. There he is! There he is! <laughs> God damn, there he is! <laughs> no, but, uh... uh. <laughs> It's it's interesting how both teams are kind of like at this crossroads right now, where it seems like a lot of the guys in chaos are starting to lean more towards heelish tendencies like they used to. Right. And I'm like, huh, like they might be, we might be seeing like a heel turn. Like, I don't know. It's been a, like, I remember when CM Punk turned heel in the middle of his long title reign, like maybe we're seeing that from Okada. Well, I mean, to open up more challenges for him, he probably... It would, it would open up more challenges and create more like a... Anticipation for him versus some of the like baby faces in the company, right? Sure. Right. I mean, especially uh, who knows? I mean, Okada could hold this title for the rest of this year, so he would need. Um, he some... could lose it in like a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we're gonna go over our predictions here in a minute, but yeah, I will say this also: Sonata was super over in this match. Out of in a match with Okada and Naito on the card. In the same match, Sonata was the star of this match. Well, I mean, I think the crowd, they recognize the talent that Sonata has. And he's somebody, he's been there for a while. They've watched him kind of evolve. And, you know, they love him, seeing him wrestle. And they probably think it's cool that he's finally getting an opportunity like this. Well, the match ended with Sonata going over, getting the uh, skull end on Gato, which is definitely the right way to go to build towards the match coming up. And then Sonata cut a promo at the end. I don't know even know what he said. But I yeah, I watched the English translation of the promo. He was like, uh, Okada, you want me to talk? Mm. I'll talk. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to destroy you. Something like that in Osaka. And then drop the mic. I'm excited for this match. I have And then, been up and then like, now. the Japanese announcers were like, they're like, oh, Sonata is speaking. He never speak in New Japan. He's like, they were like, small, short, short words, but very powerful. That's awesome. Yeah. So he's never cut a real promo, yeah. like, on screen before. So yeah. that was awesome. And then, um, uh, Yoshihashi tried to attack Naito again. Naito could care less about this dude. Like, he right. has nothing but disdain for Yoshihashi. Like, so I'm excited. I think these five matches are going to be good. Um, 
any other notes that you really had about I mean obviously we saw Makabe and Suzuki we talked about that that they're setting up that match um, anything else from New Beginning that really mattered to you no, I think we covered all the main points from Sapporo. There's a couple things. I liked Cody's promo. Oh, the God bless Kenny Omega? He's like, he was like, let me tell you, Kevin Kelly, Kenny Omega is the leader of the <laughs> Bullet Club. I love him. I love Kenny he, Omega. He cut that promo again backstage, too. He was like, God bless America and God bless Kenny Omega. And then, like, him and, like, Marty were, like, pushing, like, at, uh, Hangman Page around on a cart thing because he got the pinfall. And they were like, he's the champion. <laughs> <laughs> I liked when Marty Skrull both... They did the same promo both nights, which is weird, but uh, when he was like, actually... He was like, Kenny's the U.S. champion, but he's from Canada, and I live in America, but I'm from England. Well, he, yeah, he said that same thing, too. Like, Corey yeah. did the thing, and he's like, he's like, by the way, Kenny's Canadian, I'm from Britain. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, you know, Jay White attacked Kenny Omega at the end of their match, night one to set up the uh, match. We didn't really talk about that, but that happened. That was kind of interesting, and that actually lent, lent itself to the story with the breakup of the Bullet Club because Nick and Matt were standing right there when it happened, but they didn't see the attack. Right. And so Kenny was pissed, and he was like, where were you guys? <laughs> and they're like, man, we were looking at the hard cam. We we're and he's like, we had to do the post for the hard cam, man. <laughs> like, right. we and looking. also on uh, Being the Elite, like they they showed like there was actually like tension between them, those guys, before that six-man tag even happened. And Ken, they were like, Kenny, what's, we got we to gotta talk about our game plan. And Kenny's like, no. We just call it in the ring, and, and Matt's like call it in the ring. <laughs> Wait, who said that? Kenny, like, because oh. like they were having like issues before the six man tag, and Matt's like, Kenny, we got we got to go over the match, and Kenny's like, No, man, I'll see you out there. We'll we'll call it in the ring. Matt's like, Call it in the ring. <laughs> um, you know the, the Tongans defended their six man tag titles. Oh yeah, one. that's right. Yeah, and against uh, Makabe, uh, Hanare, and Juice Taguchi, Japan, whoever it was. Yeah. Also so I noticed that, that Makabe is wearing a uh, Taguchi Japan jersey now. I guess he's part of Taguchi Japan. They just keep adding guys. Right. I mean, it's pretty much like all oh, the Sekigun guys pretty much. are becoming a part of Team Taguchi Japan. But I thought it was interesting that Tama won with the Twister. Um, if For those of you guys who aren't familiar with what the Twister is, it's basically an abdominal stretch, but you do it on the ground and then you twist the guy's head. It's actually one of the most devastating, like real life shoot submission holds you can do he used it um during the um tag tournament to beat way Rowe or uh raymond Rowe. raymond Rowe, and he actually tapped him out and a lot of people didn't see it because it happened during the tag tournament so uh when he won the match night one with it kevin kelly acted like it was a brand new finisher that they'd never seen before but we already seen it but i mean that was pretty interesting i, I love seeing that move uh, there was something funny. I know there was a funny Taguchi promo. I forgot which match it was where, like, Tama, like, took his glasses off and, like, destroyed his glasses. Oh, really? Yeah. And so uh, Taguchi, like, in the backstage, he was like, Tama, you destroyed my glasses. Like, a master craftsman made those glasses. <laughs> he was like, you have no respect for craftsmen. All the craftsmen around the world, I fight for them. <laughs> Uh, a couple of things. Speaking of Taguchi, I thought uh, it was funny where after the match with on night two when they had the the 
Either the eight man or five man. With uh, Suzuki gun. Suzuki gun. And he was like hitting on uh, Miho. She came. Abe. In, she came and whispered something in his ear, and then he like <laughs> threw himself on her. Bro, that's something that would never happen in America, dude. That's some assault stuff right Miho there. Miho Abe is fine. Yeah, she's hot. Um, in that match, though, one thing I thought was worth noting no, uh, noting was uh, Shota Umino had an amazing hot tag. Oh, yeah. And he almost beat uh, Tai Chi like three or four times that match. I was like, wow, they're really like hyping Umino up a bit. So that was cool. Um, but Taguchi, like they attacked him a bunch of times after the match and he walked up to the announce table and he's like, I broke my ass. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, uh, Desperado had a pretty uh, funny promo too in the back. He was like, why do they keep putting me against old men and young boys? <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of the Tongans, I think it's worth noting, we've called him by his name Hikaleo, but uh, we've never mentioned it really on the show here, that Leo Tonga is now Hikaleo. Right. Apparently, I guess that's the name that um, Ming gave him. His father, Haku. And you don't go against Haku. Well, him and Tajiri, uh, I was going to say Tajiri, him and uh, um, freaking, who do you team with? Yujiro. Yeah, Yujiro. They lost on night two, and I was like, well, they didn't have Peter with them. <laughs> no wonder they lost. Right. So we didn't get Peter on night two. And then um, one thing, I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, Chase Owens, Honore Tongan, he's starting to do a five-count gimmick now. Yes, because there was the whole botch at Wrestle Kingdom in the Battle Royal where he hit the um, package pile driver, and Tiger Hattori accidentally like counted a five. And so, like, they've been running with this thing, and so now... Chase, now they always want five counts. Yeah, he's like, no, keep going, keep going, <laughs> two more. <laughs> I also thought in the match the, that they had uh, on night two, if you notice Oka, he's looking super lean now. Yeah, he is. Like, he's way skinnier than he was when we first started seeing this guy. He looked like a bruiser, and now he's starting to look like a junior. I'm like, what's going on with that? <laughs> um, also, I, one thing I marked for, and I thought it was worth noting, when Tamatanga headbutted Tenzan... Oh, and Tenzan's head was harder than Tamatonga's. I was like, what? How is that possible? Tamatonga's a Tongan. Like, he's not supposed to be selling the headbutt spot like he's headbutting someone with a harder head. I thought it was so... Uh, That was hilarious. It was so funny. So I'm guessing, so you have Tenzan's head... uh, Tongan's heads and then Samoan's heads or are Samoan's heads harder? I think like Samoan and Tongan's heads are like on the same same level. Yeah, like but then Tenzan's just above both both of them. Yeah, so I mean that was pretty much everything. I did think it was worth noticing during the Cody uh, six man tag the second night that Kushida took the pinfall. Yes. On a team where Dave, where Dave Finley was on the same team. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, why did he take the pinfall as a junior, as like the, the top junior basically? Um, but he got hit with that awesome counter where it was the uh, crossroads into the last rights. Yeah. So I mean, of course he got put away back. Yeah, double finish. Was stupid that. As a junior, he got put away when, to me, he's higher on the cards than Finley. Well, it's that whole kind of uh, mentality in New Japan. They have the hierarchy. Like, no matter what, like, heavyweights are better than junior heavyweights, and the heavyweights are supposed to beat juniors. I still disagree with that. I, I disagree with it also, but I'm saying that's the reasoning for it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's our review of New Beginning. Um, do you want to talk about New Beginning coming up? Yeah, New Beginning in Osaka. Let's go ahead and uh, do you want to talk about the road road two shows real quick, or you just want to jump to? Yeah, let's uh, talk about the road two shows. But I'm guessing we're probably just going to talk about the big matches. Right. So on uh, Monday, February fifth, that's the first road two show that will be on New Japan World. There's going to be um, David Finley versus Jay White. Yeah. So they used to be a tag team. 
um, you know, but when they're young boys. And obviously, uh, shout out again. Who's our new writer? Uh, Nathan. Yeah, so Nathan, if you guys are on the Social Suplex, uh, go to socialsuplex.com or follow us on the Wrestling Squared Circle um, Facebook group. You can find his write-up there. And he did an incredible write-up about these two guys, you know, what's going on between the dichotomy of their two career trajectories. But I expect this to be a good match. Right, and this is something also David Finley had a backstage promo where he was like, uh, someone in the office must like Jay White better than me. We have the same credentials. We both lost to Tanahashi, and we both uh, beat Kitamura. I'm a, I'm expecting obviously for uh, Jay White to go over in that match, of right. course. And then the main event of that night, there's a uh, special elimination ten uh, man tag with Ghetto, Osprey, Yoshihashi, Goto, and Okada against Bushi, Takahashi, Naito, Evil, and Sonata. Oh, they're doing an elimination tag. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to do the... So, New Japan used to do the gimmick back in the day where when they had elimination tags, they would do knockout submission, um, pinfall, and ring out. So, if you got thrown out of the ring, you got submitted as well. And those matches are excellent from the 80s. I hope they do that. I hope they I hope they do ring out as well. Like, like kind of like Royal Rumble, if you get thrown out of... The, but not over the top, just in general. If you go out of the ring, you're... you're uh, Disqualified. Hmm, that'll be very interesting. And then the main event of uh, two, it's in, the tag match. Yeah, tag February sixth. It's gonna be um, Goto and Okada challenging Evil and Sonata for the tag titles. What do you think is gonna happen there? Well, I'm expecting for <sighs> that's really tough. I want to say Sonata's going to pick up the win over somebody like Goto, but man, Goto's the champion going into the next night. Well, that's, I mean, you could, or you can have Evil pin Goto, which makes you think, oh, Evil can beat Goto, and then you think Evil's going to beat Goto. I'm not expecting Okada to get pinned, but I mean, you could hypothetically do, you could have Sonata Sonata pin him, yeah. I'm going to say that the tag champions are going to retain their titles in that match somehow, some way. Although, like, I wouldn't be that surprised if uh, if <laughs> Okada and Goto actually lifted the belts off them. Although then they'd have to defend the belts. Right, so, so probably, probably not going to happen. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with LIJ in that match. Okay. All right, so let's move on to the main card. New beginning in Osaka, Saturday, February 10th. This is a great card. Yeah, so we're going to open... The card opens up with the uh, best of seven series for Kitamura. It's going to be Nagata and Kitamura. I'm expecting so far this to be the best Kitamura match we've seen. And I'm going to... Because I love Nagata. I'm just a huge Nagata mark. And so I'm going to say Nagata's going to beat him with uh, the armbar. I'm also going to go with Nagata. Uh, second match, we have Rapungi 3K against El Desperado and Kanemaru. That will be very good. So, yeah, that looks like it's going to be the next junior feud. Um, Rapungi 3K against Suzuki Goon Juniors. Yeah, well, Desperado and Kanemaru, I believe, I could be wrong, but I think they were the junior tag champions down in G- in uh, Noah for a while. So, I mean, that they're an established tag team, and they work well together. So I expect this to be a very good team, you know, tag team match. I'm going to go with Rapungi 3K. I'm also going to go with Rapungi 3K, too. Uh, next, we have an eight-man tag. Uh, Team Taguchi Japan, Taguchi, Kushida, Elgin, and Makabe against Suzuki-Goon of Taka, Taichi, Izuka, and Suzuki. Um, wait, wait. Oh, no, that's match four. Match three is Taguchi Japan and, and Elgin against Chaos. 
It's Dave Finley, Juice, and Michael Elgin against Toro, Yanu, Ishii, uh, and Jay White. No, I'm I'm seeing a... You're on the New Japan website? Yeah, they have a Toa Hanare, David Finley, and Juice Robinson against Yano, Ishii, and Jay White in the fourth match. Oh, I'm looking on Wikipedia. It must not be updated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My bad. So anyways, uh, what was the match before? It was uh, Suzuki-Goon against... Uh, Taguchi Japan, basically. Right. Yeah. Taguchi, Kushida, Elgin, and Makabe. Hmm. Um. I don't know. I'm just gonna go Suzuki Goon because it seems like they always win, anyways. Yeah, I'm gonna go with them also. Probably uh, Kushida think. taking the fall or Taguchi. Yeah. Then yeah, the next match: uh, Toa Hanare, David Finley, and Juice Robinson against Yano Ishii and Jay White. Uh. I, I'm, I'm going to go with Chaos. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chaos on that as well. And also, Ishii had an interesting promo about Jay White. He said, he's like, we have a new kid on Chaos. Stay out of my way. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, fifth match, we have Ghetto against Bushi. Bathroom break match. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm going with Bushi on that one. Yeah, of course. Uh, sixth match, uh, special single match, Yoshihashi against Naito. Um... That's kind of tough because I almost expect there could be the upset there, but I hope they don't do that. I'm going to go with Naito. I'm also going to go with Naito. I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we're getting down to the top three matches. Uh, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. The champion, Will Ospreay, defending against a challenger, Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, this has a big possibility of being like the match of the night for sure um takahashi is always excellent in these one-on-one big title match scenarios i haven't seen a bad match in that type of scenario yet that he's had i'm gonna go with takahashi to to dethrone will osprey on this night um i'm gonna go with will osprey i just feel like they've told such a great story about him you know, finally, I know technically he has beaten Skrull before, but the story was, you know, he had a hard time beating Skrull, and he pinned Skrull in the four-way. And then uh, I'm kind of tired of seeing this title flip-flop around so much. I would like to see Osprey have a little bit more of a solid title reign. He could, but I just don't feel like the money is there with that. And with Kushida, or I'm sorry, with uh, Takahashi, I feel like the same reason I thought he was going to win the title back at Wrestle Kingdom, I feel like... It's time to put the title back on the king. Um, I don't see Will Ospreay as being a dominant champion, just a placeholder, essentially, even though he's one of the best workers in the world. From a storyline perspective, I just I see Takahashi getting what's his once again, finally, a year later. All right, next up, we have the Never Openweight Championship Master Champion, Hiroki Goto, defending as a challenger, King of Darkness, evil. I think this is going to be a good match. Oh, dude, yeah. I think people, I think this match is going to um, be the match that kind of surprises people. Yeah, people are, sleeper. people are sleeping on it, and I understand why, because I'm not, like, the biggest Goto or Evil fan in the world, even though I like Goto a lot. But with these two dude styles, like Smash Mouth style wrestling, I think it can be very violent and very good. Um, I don't know who's going to win, but I'm going to say Goto. Although, if Evil took the title off him... I wouldn't really be that surprised, to be honest with you, but I'll, I'll just say Goto. I'm also going to go with Goto. I mean, he just had a hell of a battle with Suzuki to get that thing. I can see Goto having a pretty decent uh, long reign this year. 
I don't know how long his reign will be, but I think in this particular scenario, I'm just going to say Goto. Yeah. Although, like, it might be time to elevate Evil, but he's. It seems like he's got his hand, like his hands, kind of tied with, with the, the tag titles. Yeah, and that's kind of where his focus is. So that's why I'm going to just go with Goto, I guess. Then the main event, we have the IWGP Heavyweight Champion Kazuchika Okada defending the defending against the challenger Cold Skull Sonata. So this again has this is probably gonna be another incredible match. I'm that's why I'm really looking forward to this card because you got three or four matches that just really stand out as being awesome matches. Um, judging from what I've seen from Sonata and Okada so far, I, I expect this to be excellent. Plus, they've had they had great G1 matches in the past, so I'm gonna go with Okada. I think it would be crazy to put the title on Sonata right now. Although if they did. It's not like New Japan's never done anything like that before. I think the fan outcry would be like insane. Dude, yeah, the internet would melt down. Well, but I mean, I'm also going to go with Okada here. Well, think about it. Okada, like in the past year, has turned away title defenses from Evil and um, Naito. So, like, what would that do to LIJ if Sonata was the guy to actually dethrone Naito? Well, I mean, it'll, you start to question the leadership. You even, we even started to see that once. When Evil did pin Okada and it was getting ready for that title match, like you kind of feel like Evil was kind of like challenging Naito's leadership. Well, Naito and Evil had a lot of like interesting promos during the World Tag League too, where it seemed like there was an inter, you know, uh, right? Because Naito was kind of like making like speaking down of the World Tag League, and, yep. he, and Evil was like, "Well, you know, yeah, Sonata and I are out here killing this thing." So, I mean, that's our... We pretty much have the same predictions, it looks like, except for maybe on the junior match, I'm going to suppose, at that right, point. Right, yeah, that's that's going to be the tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now um, something we, we decided to do to help us for the year in awards, we decided that we were going to name a wrestler of the month and match of the month. So we're going to name our January Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month. And we're also going to kind of uh, go back retroactively and do, yeah, do December. We've only been doing this podcast since December. And we came up with this idea this past month. But I started thinking back on December. And I was like, you know what? We're not too far removed. I think we should at least like kind of recognize December is kind of a down month for New Japan in general. So that's probably why we didn't think of it. But um, for me, the my like wrestler of the year... <laughs> my the wrestler of December. My wrestler of December, and we're gonna open this up to not just being for individual wrestlers, but also tag teams. So we kind of looked over it and looking over the matches that took place in that month. Uh, for me, it's got to be uh, Los Ingobernables de Japón. Yeah, Evil and Sonata. Evil and Sonata, and I, I believe that's your pick too, right, Jeremy? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this team they dominated. They. Uh, we're in the World Tag League, and yes, they did have some losses during the tournament. But that all happened in November. Heading into December, they they had four straight tournament matches, and they dominated every single one of those matches. They they went undefeated at that in the in the latter half of the tournament. Um, their A Block final match with Yoshihashi and Goto Go was like the second best match of the entire tournament. It was like four and a quarter. It was incredible. It was a really good match. Incredible match. So, I mean, they also had one of the best matches of that entire month. Plus, they beat uh, 
Gorillas of Destiny in the finals, which was probably the biggest uh, kind of an upset. It was kind of an upset, yeah. But they they beat them, and um, you know that was that set them up for their road to Wrestle Kingdom. Out of the two tournaments that happened that month, you know, Kitamura winning the Young Lions Cup, this definitely is the more substantial and hard-earned victory. It's a more prestigious victory in, in my eyes. Plus, they had one of the best matches of the month, and they win. The only the only black mark on their record is they lost the six-man tag titles to um, Gorillas of Destiny and Fale. But neither of those guys took the pinfall in that match. It was Bushi who got hit with the grenade and the bad luck fall, I believe. So for me, as far as performances, and then if you just want to go off of match performances and you look at like best friends who was in that tournament or death juice yeah, or war machine, war machine, all those guys had their best matches in the tournament in the first half, the second half of the tournament. We watched it, it was kind of laborious to watch because it kind of dragged for the second half. So, I mean, for me, you really couldn't go with any other team or any other individual outside of LIJ. So for me, month of december lij wins you know wrestler or wrestlers of the month. month yep and then for our december match of the month we've come to the conclusion of yagi versus narita from the young lions cup finals that match was awesome i know i just that match does not get enough praise on the internet nobody knows how good this match was Dude, guys like and i told you this like the best part like the reason why that match was so good was because i wasn't expecting it to be so good these guys came out there and killed each other uh, I mean, bro, we talk about how violent Suzuki and Goto was at Wrestle Kingdom. This was like literally every, every bit as violent as that match. Dude, the was. drop kicks, the chops, the chops, bro. Oh my! The the freaking tosses and the throws. That match was incredible, and I don't think it gets enough recognition. I mean, the only match that really kind of gave it a close run for its money was the, the LJ match, but the chaos match. But this was much better. Like it was better than that. Yeah, and it was on the undercard, and it went 15 minutes to the draw, which like. The drama was there. The story was there. That match was awesome. If you guys haven't gotten a chance, go back to the Young Lions Cup finals and watch Yo- Yagi and Narita. It's the first match of the uh, tournament or the tournament for that night. Awesome match. All right, now for January, the January Wrestler of the Month. We've come to the conclusion that it's Minoru Suzuki, the new IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Yeah, guys, uh, when we started coming up with this idea, we were like, well, who's who's it going to be? And I think immediately we were like, well, maybe Jericho or maybe like Omega, maybe Okada, you know. But as the month went on, like it just started becoming more and more apparent, like Suzuki's having an incredible blow away month. I mean, this guy's freaking on fire right, right. now. I mean, he had the vicious match, the never open title match at Wrestle Kingdom with um, Goto. And he lost that match. Don't you know? Of course, but that match was his match. <laughs> right. I mean, that was, well, like 80-20, him just beating the crap out of Goto. It was bad. It was really bad. And uh, then the character work at the end of the match with him cutting his hair, gold, the stuff he did the next night with him and Tanahashi at New Year's Dash, setting that match up. Awesome. Uh, he went to Rep Pro. And won the British tag titles with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't count as much as, you know, we kind of weigh what happens in New Japan. But, I mean, he went over there, had a four-and-a-half-star match. Rep Pro is one of their official, like, partners. So we kind of lend some credibility to that. And then he just killed the ace. <laughs> and another, like, four, you know, four-and-a-half-star match. And, I mean, if you're just going off star ratings, I mean, the match with uh, 
Goto. Goto was incredible. So as far as like high level performances for the month and high level like uh, from a storytelling standpoint, character work, you know, uh, viciousness and in ring ability, like nobody delivered match after match all month the way that Suzuki Minoru Suzuki did. So I it really couldn't have been anybody other than him. I I didn't really even consider anybody else once you know new beginning this past weekend happened. Right. And um, now for the January match of the month, we both came to the conclusion of Alpha, Alpha versus, versus Omega. Omega. <laughs> Jericho and Omega, the five-star classic from Wrestle Kingdom. This kind of means a bit more than like the Narita Yagi match because that match, as great as it was, happened in a down month when the, not a lot happens in New Japan. Whereas the, we were overloaded with great matches this month. I mean, from... Cody and Ibushi, Goto and Suzuki, Okada and Naito. Young Bucks and Rapungi 3K. Young Bucks and Rapungi 3K. Suzuki and uh, and Go Tanahashi. Like there have been so, and then yeah, there have been a lot of really, really, really good matches this month, and none of them were as good as Y2J and Omega. Uh, we did a whole, you know, go back and listen to our review of Wrestle Kingdom. You can hear our, us talk about it, but I mean. Near five stars, just incredible match. It's definitely going to be a match of the year contender when when it's all said and done. So hats off to those guys. And it looks like we're going to have a stacked February with these Road to New new Beginning in Osaka. The New Beginning in Osaka. We have two Honor Rising shows this month as well. And the anniversary is coming up as well. Well, I think that's in March. That's in March, but still like right at the tail end. So I mean... We're getting back to back to back to back like events. I mean, it's New Japan overload right now. It's awesome. Yes. All right. So let's jump into the news. There's a lot of news uh, happening. And uh, one thing I wanted to open up with was uh, Strong Style Evolved. Um, So, you know, we mentioned last week about the sellout there. And um, so, yeah, you know, they put the tickets on sale on January 29th. At the 5,300-seat Walter Pavilion in Long Beach. And, you know, nothing was announced. No matches were announced. They just announced that it would be Naito, Omega, and Okada would be there. And the ticket site actually crashed. And the tickets, originally they said they were gone 20 minutes. They were actually gone in, like, 10 minutes. Uh, You know, so many people logged in at 10 a.m. when the tickets went on sale. And you know, the site just kept crashing. Yeah, they um, Kidani um, actually commented on this, and he said if the site hadn't had issues, they would have sold out quicker than that. Right. And then um, I talked to my buddy uh, Cam Evans. Shout out Cam, who lives in California. He was trying to get tickets for Strong Style Evolved, and he couldn't. So, if you guys are looking for tickets, if you go to the NJPW Reddit, there's a mega thread for ticket exchanges that with the Strong Style Evolve show. I don't know how much yeah. luck you'll have there, but it's something worth checking out. Right, yeah, because he can't even say, like, he looked on the secondary market, but they were just, the tickets were marked up so much, he just didn't want to commit to it. Um, from my sources right now, there are, uh, there's about, like, 300 tickets available on the secondary market with the price of $140. There's a lot of guys, I was reading the comments on the Reddit, they were saying that, like, there's a lot, I don't know if they're still there, but there's people mentioning how, like, they were just buying tickets up because 
they didn't know like it would pop up and it, it took them minutes to try to even get a ticket so when it popped up they would just buy it because they had no other choice essentially so there's a lot of people who are like trying to exchange tickets so that they can end up in the same same sections and some people just have extra tickets because they just bought them because they just had to you know what i mean so yeah that's something worth checking out if you want to go to that show that's one resource you have. Check that out. Right. And so about 4,700 tickets were sold for the show, while some tickets were held back from members of the New Japan uh, fan club How traveling many? from Japan. 4,700. Wow. And so that's a pretty big deal. Because to put that in perspective, you look at like Ring of Honor, they've never sold more than 3,500 tickets for a total show. Yeah. And that was last year's WrestleMania weekend. Um, which had the Hardys and Young Bucks ladder match. Yeah, in North America, there's only been two companies that have done larger ticket numbers than this show's going to do outside of WWE in the last 18 years. Right. Uh, one was a company called FMLL that ran a super uh, lucha show back in the early 2000s uh, in Southern California. It was a one-shot, and it basically... They did, I think, like 7,000, 7, something like that, um, at like the LA Sports arena or something of that nature but as far as established long-term booking companies tna is the only one that's done this right yeah tna has a record of uh, 6,700 tickets for uh lockdown in like right. 2013 2012 yeah. so you can imagine if new japan would have booked maybe like a 10 to 13,000 seat building they could have probably they might not have sold out all the seats but they would have beat tna's record i'm at the point where like i believe in that they should if at all feasible, they should move the venue right now. They have enough time to where they could possibly maybe book another arena for that same day if it was at all possible and get, because Kidani made comments. He said, if we booked a 10,000 seat arena, we would have sold out. And I'm like, well, why don't you guys do it, man? Like there's a lot of people that want to go to the show. <laughs> yeah. Even if they didn't sell 10,000 and they did seven or eight, like that's more money for them. They're going to be more profitable booking a bigger building like that and getting more people because of how much they do in merch and how much they, I mean, like this kind of fan base buys so much of merch. I mean, they're going to sell the tickets plus sell like an additional average of like $30 a head in merchandise. Right. And um, it's not confirmed. We talked about this last week, but more than likely this is probably going to be airing live on Access. Yeah. So that that's gonna be awesome. If you guys have access, like you gotta check this show out. It's gonna be incredible. And then uh, next, let's talk about you know we're talking about all these ticket sales. Let's talk about the New Japan uh, January attendance. Yeah, so I have the stats here, and you know cumulatively speaking for paid attendance um, between the New Beginning shows, Fantastic Mania, and Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, New Japan sold a total of 61,920 tickets paid attendance. This is by far the highest paid attendance month that they've had since like May of 2015. And it might even go back further than that. Right. I mean, um, it's pretty much it was a 20 percent um, increase from last year. Yeah, in last year, their highest month was in August, you know, the same month that they run the G1. They did just under 45. Um, Their biggest month in recent years was August of 2015. You know, August is a big month for them because they run G1. They did just shy of 52. So we're talking, you know, an additional almost 11,000 over one of their highest months in the past three years. So this is that's an incredible jump for their business as far as drawing power goes. Right. 
And then, uh, you know, our January match of the month was the five-star match of Jericho and Omega. Well, with Jericho getting that five-star rating, um, he became the oldest person ever to get a five-star rating in a singles match at 47 years old, (laughs) breaking the record set by 45-year-old Terry Funk in November 15, 1989, the I Quit match with Ric Flair in New York. I did not know that. Yeah, so the top five historical, you have Minoru Suzuki at 44. Uh, in 2012 against Tanahashi Stan Hansen 43 uh, July of 1993 against Kenta Kobashi that match is awesome Um, you have Tanahashi at 40 um, the August 11th match against Naito then obviously Terry Funk and then Chris Jericho you know, speaking of the Strong Style Evolved show that's coming up, New Japan recently just filed for three new U.S. trademarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they filed for the trademarks on U.S. Strong Style, King of Sport, and Strong Style Evolved. So this kind of goes back into the U.S. expansion, just the fact that, like, New Japan is trying to get trademarks on their brand here in the U.S. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing we're going to see some merch pop up and some maybe some shows. Who knows? Right. And then uh, back to Jericho for a second. You you mentioned to me that there's a possibility of him working the WWE UK tour in May. Yeah, so he was supposed to be um, doing like some sort of show with uh, I think it's called Shake Them Ropes. You, have you heard of those guys? No. They do. They're doing like the Paul Heyman show WrestleMania weekend. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and in May they were supposed to do one of those shows. Well, they they deleted. They've now deleted the tweet, but they tweeted out that. There were scheduling conflicts in May because of the WWE UK tour. And then it shortly got deleted, like, right after that. So it's not officially confirmed, but it there seems to be evidence. And we do know that, like, Jericho and Fozzie are going to be overseas around that same time. So it might have been fortunate for WWE and for him to be in the same area. Or maybe they booked it that way. I don't know. But, yeah, it looks like he might be working um, the May shows for the WWE UK tour. Dude, this is this Jericho stuff just keeps getting more crazy as it progresses. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, I've heard other speculation. There's a lot of people saying that, you know, we haven't heard anything from Jericho since New Year's Dash and his attack on Naito. And there are people who are like, is he even coming back at this point? Yeah. I think he is. I think he is, too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if... Either strong style evolved, or maybe they wait till Dominion. Well, he was the rumor was that he was going to work the strong style evolved tour, and I'm I'm still expecting that to be the big like how, announcement. Yeah, you know, the big announcement that they do. They did a big announcement this past week, and I thought that's what they were going to announce, but it, they didn't end up. It ended yeah, up being that right. But um, I mean, it is interesting like that he was on Raw. Now he might be working this UK tour. Is and he going to... And then come back to work Naito. Yeah, and then go back in May and, like, he's going to work Naito in April and then go work uh, WWE in May. Like, is that what's going to happen? Or maybe, like, Vince and Paul got in his ear and they're like, hey, pal. Pal, you need to cut the Japan crap out. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to come home. <laughs> so I don't know. But, yeah, that's some very interesting news. To uh, say the least. And then while we're kind of mentioning WWE, uh, Kenny Omega had some comments. Yeah. I actually pulled up, um, you know, what he kind of said. So, you know, he did a recent um, interview, basically, because he actually revealed um, – this was in uh, – he did an interview with Tokyo Sports, and he revealed to them that um, the reason – basically the reason that he didn't 
want to go to New Japan had to do with Kota Ibushi. So he had some comments. He said that basically in 2016, they reached out to him several times, apparently, to come over to WWE, which is kind of like a big deal. And um, obviously, we talked about like the Golden Lovers reuniting, you know, earlier in the show. But, um, you know, he had said at one point that he wanted to face Kota Ibushi in the G1 Climax Finals. But he cleared the air recently and he said in actuality he just wants to stand next to Kota Ibushi and he said the real Kenny is always at Kota's side whatever that means <laughs> uh, but he said that the, the real reason why he turned down the offer from WWE is because he said it had to do with Kota, Kota Ibushi essentially and he said if we aren't together there's no point I want us to change the wrestling world together I took belts with Bullet Club did a lot and that was all the job but Golden Lovers transcends wrestling this is real life and as long as there's a chance for this to happen I wasn't going to say goodbye to New Japan so he's basically saying that without there being the opportunity for them to reunite and have some sort of storyline going forward and to make their mark on wrestling together why would he leave for WWE leaving this kind of business that he has unfinished you know and there was also some comments about the new day too that he made yeah he posted that too and he said um, this was in Sports Illustrated so he's he's talked about the same topic twice this week and he said when I see Big E I clearly see someone who could be the world champion this guy's on another level and Kofi is one of those guys who's good in all situations and can also challenge for any title and he's like and Xavier's another great athlete who's talented in the ring and confident on the mic and he said that the fact that they've been in the same spot with the company for years makes him hesitant about eventually signing with WWE. He's like, it's things like that that really make me think twice about where I would, uh, what I'd be getting into if I did eventually go there. So he's on that, that sting mindset, like, I don't know how they're going to book me when I come in there. And guess what? Sting was absolutely right. Look how they booked him. You know? First match. Pedigreed. <laughs> He even said uh, when he came, uh, when he saw Kota Ibushi's, like when he came to help me, I had a flashback to our time as Golden Lovers. Ibushi's always been the kind of uh, the kind of person that's hard to figure out, but I kind of understood something. And he said the real Kenny's always by his side too. And he said like he wouldn't go to WWE if like Kota Ibushi didn't come with him. So like you know these guys, there's been speculations about like the kind of relationship they have between them. Take that for what that whatever that means to you. All right. But at the end of the day, the, these guys have some sort of friendship slash relationship that kind of goes beyond just professional pro wrestling to where like Kenny doesn't really see the point in going overseas and wrestling in WWE if Kota's Abushi's not gonna be with him. He's also been outspoken in the past about how they uh, have treated Nakamura in his time over there. And he also had uh, some pretty crazy comments about Abushi being in the Cruiserweight Classic. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's all very interesting stuff for those of you that want to see Kenny eventually come over to WWE. I, I'm, like, starting to feel like, are we even ever going to see that happen? Right. I think we might not, actually. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned Nakamura. Uh, and I know this is not a WWE podcast, so we had to mention, you know, the main event, well, actually, the WWE title match for WrestleMania, we have the former Chaos leader, Nakamura, against the former Bullet Club leader, AJ Styles. Uh, Nakamura won the Royal Rumble when it came down to him and Roman Reigns, and that was just a mark-out moment for wrestling fans. Here's a little fun piece of trivia I found out this week. Nakamura did an interview, and he said up until this, like, up until he was in the match, he'd never watched a Royal Rumble match. Really? <laughs> <laughs> For 
real? Yeah, for, for, for real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Nakamura won the Royal Rumble without having ever seen an actual Royal Rumble because, you know, they do the, like, New Japan Rumble, but I don't think, like, Nakamura <laughs> sitting at Gorilla, like, watching these, like, young boys and legends, like, go at it, you Right, know? right. So, yeah, he won the... That's interesting, but, like, I'm, I'm so excited about Styles and Nakamura at WrestleMania. Dude, the Wrestle Kingdom match I love their Wrestle Kingdom amazing. match. Amazing. So if they let those guys do that... They just need to let them go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no agents, no, like, here, give them, like, 20, 25 minutes and let them run it. Yeah. And then, um, so we've got some other news coming up with uh, featuring video game news. So we already kind of talked about earlier in the year that, you know, New Japan is partnering with... Uh, Human, I believe it is. They're the ones. It might not be human. I can't remember who it is, but whoever it is that that makes the uh, Fire Pro games, well, they're actually going to be do. They have two other game projects coming up. So there's a, a video game series that's coming out. It's Yakuza Six, and um, that's like a. It's a game based on the Yakuza. It's kind of like uh, Grand Theft Auto, sort of. They actually have a storyline in the game where they're going to be f- uh, featuring several New Japan stars as members of a rival gang in Yakuza 6. And it's like, it looks really cool, actually. So, I mean, if you are a video game fan, that might be something worth checking out. Um, they also um, announced the other... There was a big announcement that was supposed to take place the other night. Did you stay up and watch that? I did not. I started to watch it, but I couldn't understand what was going on. <laughs> well, you don't, you, don't, you don't understand Japanese, Josh? <laughs> no, I don't. But, um, you know, the news broke out the next morning that Bushimo, who's one of the partial owners of, uh, of New Japan, that they are going to be working and coming out with a new New Japan video game that will be based on mobile right. in 2020. I did see somebody tweet out, like, a, a little, like, screen, like, videos from what the game would actually look like. It looked, looked pretty cool, actually. I think that those screens are from the old video game. Oh, okay. That they had mobile before. Gotcha. But I don't know. It, only time will tell. I mean, that's two years away. But, yeah, New Japan has a new mobile game coming out. Who knows if it's going to be available in the U.S. or not. You'll probably have to do some shady <laughs> stuff to get access to it. But, yeah, they're yeah. working on that, so that's coming out. Um, also, I have a quick uh, injury update on my boy, Kojima. <laughs> so... You know, you know, we know it's an ACL injury, and we speculated that it happened in the match with Roosh. Well, actually, he tore his ACL on January 17th. Um, that's one of the Fantastic Mania sh- matches that were was not aired on New Japan World. Okay. So, but he worked the rest of the tour. And, you know, obviously he worked, you know, the first airing show on 119 and the one on 121. There was no sign of injury. Hmm. Um and his knee wasn't even wrapped that much. But then on the 22nd show, the match with Roosh, that's when we started to see that his knee was bothering him that whole match. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, it's a lot easier for him to hide that injury in multi-man matches. But when he was in that one-on-one match with Roosh, he couldn't hide it anymore. Hmm. There um, are a couple other, like, injury updates as well. So, obviously, we've talked about Tanahashi and how he's injured and he's taking time off. Um, for those of you that might have been paying attention, you probably noticed Cody Rhodes had pretty serious black eye the last couple shows. Um, apparently, he got them during the tapings they did for Ring of Honor in Nashville with uh, – who is it? The guy from the kingdom. What's his name? Uh, Matt Taven. Matt Taven. Apparently, there had been reports that 
Kenny had broken his orbital bone, but it seems like now it's just a, his cheekbone was broken, and that was what was causing the black eye. Um, it obviously it didn't affect his ability to work. You know, this past weekend, I'm sure we'll see him. You know, on the upcoming uh, New Beginning card as well, and I'm sure we'll see him in Honor Rising. Yeah, so it's not it's not too serious, but yeah, it looked pretty nasty. Um, also, speaking of Tanahashi, so let's talk about you know New Orleans and Rep Pro. Right, so. Big Rep Pro Show, uh, WrestleMania weekend. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. Uh, previously announced was Tanahashi. He's saying he's going to be there, but honestly, it's really up in the air whether he's going to be. He has dates for that, and then the next day, he's supposed to work Supercard of Honor as well. Right. And then, But also uh, recently announced for the Rep Pro Show, the new British tag champ, Suzuki. Yeah, our January wrestler of the month is uh, signed. I, I just assumed when they announced Suzuki that like not only did he take Tanahashi's title and his like livelihood, but he was taking, taking his, his spot bookings. Too. Yeah, <laughs> he's taking his bookings. So I thought that's what that was. But like Tanahashi is apparently telling people he's going to be ready by April. Right. <sighs> he. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and also, then also uh, Rocky Romero. Announced yeah. for Rev Pro and uh, Rocky Romero did an interview on Killing the Town last week, and uh, he mentioned that you know he does like managing Rapungi 3K, but that's not his end game. He does want to keep wrestling, and he does um, he does not want to create a new junior tag team for himself. He wants to do a singles action. Nice. So that's pretty exciting. So yeah, so we'll get to see Rocky Romero. We've seen him before in Ring of Honor Live, so it'll be pretty cool to see him there. Suzuki Tanahashi. Speaking of Rev Pro, um, big match announcement. They just announced this past week that on May 11th, Rev Pro Epic Encounter, they will be running the rematch. Tomohiro Ishii versus Keith Lee Part 2. Dude, that's going to be insane. That match was one of, if you've watched, if you've gone online and you looked at any of the year-end awards that these different websites throw out, and there's no list that can be complete without listing Keith Lee versus Tomohiro Ishii. Five-star match. Incredible match. And they're going to run it back on May, in May, and I'm super freaking Dude, stoked Keith for Lee that. is one of the guys I'm really excited about seeing live uh, during WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, I've never seen him live either, yeah. so I'm ex- super excited about that. Um, so that that's something to look out for. Uh, you know, we're breaking the news to you guys here. Keith Lee versus Ishii, big deal. Um, and then uh, back to WrestleMania weekend, you know, we're going to Supercard of Honor. They, yeah. just, they announced the uh, Festival of Honor. Yeah, so the Festival of Honor is going to start at 1 p.m. on April 7th. Uh, so I believe that's during the same day as... Super Card of Honor. Right. It's like the pre, like a pre-party, pre-game. Yeah. So, you know, WrestleMania weekend, they have like WWE Access and WrestleCon. They did the Festival of Honor last year where they like grilled out and, you know, and did signings. Uh, I've seen online, they're going to be doing a bunch of stuff like uh, Q&A sessions, autograph signings, trivia, all sorts of like cool stuff. But they're actually going to be running um, the Women of Honor tournament. They're going to be having a couple uh, semifinal matches live Outside during the uh, Festival of Honor. So that's something that's really cool to, to check out. And speaking of the women's tourney. Right. Uh, Ring of Honor has been partnering with Stardom to bring in some of their women for this Woman of Honor tournament. Yeah, earlier in the year, um, they did a open tryout for Stardom slash Women of Honor. So there's been like a budding... Um, you know, partnership between these two companies, but it's starting to become more pronounced now that the Women of Honor is actually uh, 
going to become like an established division within. It's actually Honor. a belt. There's going to be a belt now. Right. So we're, they're they're featuring a lot of the top stars from Stardom in the Women of Honor tournament. They haven't even announced all the participants yet. So it, it's. A very exciting thing that's happening, but I mean, if you know anything about Joshi, Stardom's one of the premier like promotions that are out there, and a lot of the girls that WWE's been signing have come from that promotion, and they have a streaming service. So I mean, they're one of the more accessible. They might not be the biggest, but they're one of the more accessible Joshi promotions that are out there right now, and it's it's exciting to see Ring of Honor expand their partnership with other wrestling groups to that that particular promotion. Right, and also with Ring of Honor news. Uh, they recently announced a streaming service, right? Yeah, I think it's called the Honor Club. Okay, is what it's going to be. Now, there's not a lot of news about it, but you will if you sign up for it. You're going to get all the pay per views, which is like really awesome. Um, and then you'll all they're going to be airing all of their road shows, like so all their house shows. They're actually right. going to be taping them and airing them on the streaming service. Is, it, is the TV show going to be on, aired on? Yeah, actually, they're going to do the full catalog of every television show they've ever done. Oh, dude, they got my money. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be able now. The only thing that for what's going to sell me on it is if I can get access to their full lineup of shows going all like the whole catalog. If the whole catalog's not there, I don't know if I'm going to buy this or not. Maybe I would for the pay-per-views because, I mean, that'd be pretty dope to be getting, like, Ring of Honor pay-per-views coming in at, like, every month. Yeah. But, um, I mean, there's so many Ring of Honor matches that I, I haven't seen that I want to see. Plus, with the partnership between them and New Japan, it's, like, kind of, like, must-see TV at this point now. Like, when they, whenever they do, like, their anniversary card or, you know. Right. And, I mean, there's starting to be more crossover. We've got the Honor Rising coming up. Super Card of Honors, a co-branded show. So yeah, Supercard of Honor actually has like the, the New Japan, Japan logo yeah, on the it. The line mark, yeah. So we don't even know everybody that might potentially be showing up for that show. I mean, I did the math um, earlier today, so I wanted to figure out because we were talking about you know the kind of attendance that New Japan is drawing for their Walter Pyramid show, and obviously we we're going to the um, Supercard of to Honor. Supercard of Honor. And, you know, they announced this week that Kenny and Cody is going to be the main event. So I'm like, holy crap. So I started looking at that, the layout of the arena. And the arena seats about 89 and some change for basketball. But when you add the floor seats, they can actually do something close to like 10. Essentially, is like their max capacity. Right now, uh, if you look at the, the way that it's set up, they have about one half of the building set up for um, the wrestling attendance. And then a couple small, like, not quite half, but some of, like, kind of, if you cut the whole arena in half, there's a couple sections that overlap, which probably add a few hundred seats, plus they're running the floor. So if you figure 89, like 9,000, you cut that in half, it's like 4,500. You're probably talking about if they sell out, maybe five to six total, somewhere around that. Right. Which is a big house. Now, I went online to see how many tickets were still available, and you can't find an exact number, but... For all the sections that are still open, and this is on the official site, not like on resellers, but on Ticketmaster, there's not many left, honestly. Dude, we got our tickets at the right time. The only tickets that are left are like crappy tickets, to be honest with you. And I mean, it, now, one thing I will say, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about going to the show, I've done some research and reviews. Apparently, this is a really like great venue for concerts and things like that. It's a mid-sized arena, so it's not like you know, terrible seats. Even the bad seats, from what I understand, are still considered, like, very good tickets. So, I mean, if you haven't bought your tickets, go out and you're going to be there, like, 
it's worth checking it out. Plus, NXT is gonna be sold out anyways. It already is, so you guys might as well just. And plus, the NXT prices are ridiculous on Ticketmaster, so I can only imagine what the secondary market is gonna be like for those take. Those yeah, tickets. this Ring of Honor show. I mean, they got Kota Ibushi there. They got Kenny Omega is gonna wrestle Cody. Maybe Tanahashi is gonna be there. Plus, all the Ring of Honor guys. The ticket's like 30 to 50 bucks. Yeah. It's going to be like worth your time to do that. And then, you know, we're going to wake up the next morning and watch TakeOver. So that's what you guys just do. <laughs> um, speaking of streaming services, um, one thing I just found out, All Japan Pro Wrestling is going to be launching their own streaming service as well this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they're going to be running uh, their streaming service. We don't really watch All Japan, but I will ca- – there's guys over there I like, like Kento Miyahara and uh, – Bodyguard and Zeus and Suwama. So, I mean, I'll catch, like, their big matches when they happen. Junakiyama, that sort of thing. But um, the fact that they're also getting in the streaming game is just showing you how the wrestling well, the industry is changing. Right. And you also had some other All Japan news, didn't you? Yeah, there's two things. So, Yuji Nagata uh, partnered up this past week with Junakiyama and... Yuji Nagata? <laughs> from WCW? <laughs> You know, so these guys are kind of have been like longtime friends slash rivals. They're kind of like frenemies. And uh, they went over, you know, they invited Nagata to come to their Yokohama show this past week. And they wrestled for the all Asia tag team titles, which are uh, still the oldest running tag team titles in Japan. They go all the way back to JWA and they won the titles. So Yuji Nagata is now one half of the current all Japan, all Asia tag team champions, which is pretty cool (laughs) and then um, on top of that at this Yokohama show and we're not again we're not like an all Japan show so I don't know everything about them but they they announced their upcoming um, cards for well not cards but like the brackets for the all Japan champions carnival in 2018 and if you're not familiar with the all Japan champion carnival it's essentially the exact same idea as the G1 climax in New Japan, same idea. It's a round-robin round tournament. They're going to run this tournament across 15 shows from April 7th to April 30th. And in the past couple years, they've had uh, all these shows available online. So, you know, they've all made tapes. So you sh- we should be able to see everything. But just going down the list of guys that are out there, they have Kento Miyahara, who is the current ace of All Japan Pro Wrestling, somebody who I would love to see in a G1. Like, he's incredible. Um, Shuji Ishikawa, who I believe won the uh, tournament last year, and he's one of the top freelancers. He's not even an All Japan guy. Um, Yuji Hino, who's like one, pretty much the ace and top star from Wrestle One. Shingo Takagi, who's never been in All Japan, and he's the ace of Dragon Gate, which is the second largest uh, company right now in, in Japan outside of New Japan. Um, the bodyguard, Joe Doring, who's the current uh, Triple Crown champion. Uh, Noya Nomura, Ryoji Sai. So, I mean, that's the A block. Jun Akiyama's making his return to the Champions Carnival, who is one of the OGs of All Japan and Noah. Kai, Zeus, who's one half of uh, the tag team with uh, the bodyguard. They have Naomichi Marafuji, who's the former ace from Noah, who he was just in the G1 a couple years ago. And he, he was a little caught up yep. in a title match. Yep. Suwama, who's the former ace of All Japan. So Suwama, if you want to compare, is kind of like Tanahashi to Miyahara's Okada, essentially. So he's kind of still seen as like one of the top guys. Yoshi Tatsu, who from all reports is having like a banner year in All Japan. Leaving New Japan. Which is crazy because he was thinking of the joint in New Japan. 
Yeah, and then uh, James Radine, uh, who's a former star from Zero One and Yutaka Yoshi. Now, you guys might not be familiar with all of these guys by any means, but I, just to put this in perspective, you're talking about the top stars from All Japan wrestling, the top stars from Dragon Gate, Wrestle One, Noah, and Zero One, and Dude, Big Japan. That's that's gonna be a, that's it's that's stacked. a stacked yeah. tournament. Um, the fact that they're getting Shingo in matches with Miyahara, Ishikawa, and Joe Doring, those are all dream matches that have never happened before. That, like, I'm all of a sudden like, dang, I'm about <laughs> to watch them all Japan. Like, because this We're about tur- to open this show up and. This tournament sounds awesome, yeah. guys. So, yeah, yeah, like, if you just watch, like, the Western products or if, you know, you, you're only familiar with New Japan, this might be a really good opportunity to see top guys from all over Purarezu right now. Right. Really cool. And then the, the final item here uh, about the New Japan Cup, they're going to be airing um, all nine nights on New Japan World. The open, they call it the season opener, happens on Friday, March 9th. And that will run all the way. Uh, the finals are March 21st. And there will be English commentary for the finals. Um, and for... Let me see. No, yeah, I think the finals is the only show that there will be English commentary for. Yeah, I wish I would have had it prepared, but the New Japan Cup, they talked about like who's going to be in it uh, this year already, like some of the guys that are announced. It looks like it, I don't have the full list in front of me. Uh, I guess we'll get more to that as time comes on, but it looks like this might be like one of the most stacked like New Japan Cups they've ever done before. Um, and I mean, this is all happening before the Long Beach shows. And, you know, the winner of the New Japan Cup, for those of you that are unfamiliar, whoever wins the cup gets to challenge for any title that they want. So, hypothetically, they can challenge for the Never title, the IC, the US, US, or the IWGP. Now, I mean, I would assume... And then they wrestle that champion in the main event of Sakura Genesis, which is one of their biggest events of the year. I'm assuming that the winner will challenge for the IWGP title, but you just never know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, I mean, kayfabe-wise, why the heck would you want to challenge for any other belt besides the IWGP Heavyweight Championship? I don't know. I guess if you were in the same, like, faction and you don't want to, like, if, like, I don't know, Goto or Ishii won, maybe they don't want to face Okada. Right. But at the but same time... Jay White's it, changing that up. Yeah, what if he won? That'd be crazy. But, yeah, in the past, for New Beginning, they've always done, like tournament matches on the same nights and then they've had basically new japan cup tour shows where it was like road to shows and they didn't even air them and they didn't have any tournament matches they and then sometimes they would only kind of like how they did for the tag tournament they would only air the tournament matches it wouldn't even be live so this is the first year where they've actually put tournament matches every night of the of the tour they are essentially going to headline the, the 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 tour with tournament matches every night and just run it that way, which they've never done this before. And it's going to be live. It's going to be in HD. And these are not single cam shows. These are full production shows. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at some of the arenas they're going to be in. They're running big arenas. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be in Kurgan Hall. I mean, they're going to be in Nagoya. Um, they're going to be running um, the Takam- Takamutsa City Gymnasium. Yeah, so, I mean, they're really, like, trying to do this this New Japan Cup big this year, which is pretty exciting. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's going to be awesome. And we'll get more coverage on that as time goes on. 
Um, there was one, just one last thing I want yeah, to talk about because we for it. we kind of discussed it, but let's talk about this. What are your thoughts on Kenny and Cody at Supercard of Honor, and like this Golden Lovers reunion? Um, I mean, I'm pumped for this Cody and Ken, uh, Cody and Omega match. Um, you know, I kind of threw out the possibility, like, what if this like Golden Lovers reunion is a swerve, and like, yeah, I've thought about that to set up the. Omega versus Abushi match this year. Yeah, like what if they're just pulling in Abushi, like, and this whole thing's a plot? Like they're basically pulling a sting on him, right? Like sting with the Four Horsemen or sting with Flair, and they're just gonna like ton like uh, Omega's playing Flair to his sting, and like he's gonna turn on him. I don't think they're gonna do that. I don't think they're gonna. Do, I think there's too much uh, heat between Omega and Cody. I feel like. We might get the Omega Bushi match maybe in the G1. They'll be in the same block and have no choice but to fight each other. I assume at some point there's going to be some major breakup between them, and that's maybe not now, but down the road it has to come. Abushi actually had some comments on Tokyo Sport. They did an interview with him as well about this. I don't know if you saw it or not. Uh, I didn't. Well, they asked him like why he helped Kenny, and he said, because he's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, well, are you going to be part of the Bullet Club now? And he's like, I've never belonged to a faction up till now, and I won't be in the future. So that tells us like he's not planning on joining the elite. And then they asked him about reforming the Golden Lovers, and he said it ended once. So this isn't us picking up where we left off. It's a completely new start. I'm excited to see what he, uh, we can do as a team now that both of us are heavyweights. I can't imagine a better tag team than us. And at the same time, we spent this time apart and did completely different things in those three years. How, how we'll do together after that time and how we'll all gel, that's another part of it. Um, they asked him, are they going to like be a team or are they going to be like separate? And he said... We've taken very different routes, but I think that there are New Japan fans that sense a difference in level between us. I'm I'm the only one that hasn't really made a mark or gotten results in New Japan. I'm not looking to Kenny for help in that regard. That's on me to rectify. Of course, I want to team with him, but I'm still a singles wrestler. I want to make my mark as a singles wrestler. As a tag, I'm excited to see what happens, and no doubt cool things will happen. 28 just got really interesting. Hmm. So, like, I'm excited to see, like, where this storyline plays out. I don't know what's really going to happen. I don't know if anyone really does. But, like, the one thing I will say is, like, I cannot wait to see Cody versus Kenny. Dude. Like, I'm expecting this to be the best Cody match we've ever seen. And we're the fact that we're going to see it live, for those of you that don't aren't going to be there, go out of your way. This is the one time where I'm like, go buy a Ring of Honor, pay-per-view, pay whatever you got to do. If their streaming service is up at that point, like whatever it takes, you got to see this match. And if you are there in New Orleans, we want you to come out and uh, say hi to us. We love to meet you guys and just, you know, talk about wrestling and have a good time. Uh, for me, that's a jam-packed show. And I mean, we have a lot to look forward to. We've got the New Beginning shows coming up, uh, the Road to shows. we got New Beginning in Osaka. We've got Honor Rising. Honor Rising. And then the anniversary shows, New Japan Cup, Strong Style Evolved. And this is a crazy... And they question if we could do a weekly New Japan show. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys again for listening to another episode of Keeping It Strong Style How here. Can they find us? They can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, tune in radio anywhere you download your podcast you can go to our homepage socialsuplex.com you can go to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe and that subscribes you to get all of our columns and podcasts delivered directly 
to your inbox and go ahead and leave us a rating and review to help us get over keep upvoting our post in the uh, new japan reddit anything else josh i never have anything else (laughs) you do such a good job man well on that note goodbye and good night bang credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.